On this episode of Of Mechs and Men, Gina aces the interview. Justin spies a trap and throws the gauntlet while Jiro dots the eyes and crosses the tea house. This is Of Mechs and Men, a Battletech book club. I am Kanan Hill, joined, as usual, by my two good friends, Brent. Brent's me. And Aaron. It's me, Aaron. How are we doing, boys? Well, masked men in hoodies aren't attacking me while I'm taking a shower, so I'm doing all right. Well, that's good, because this week we're wrapping part one of the book we've been working through. Warrior Unguard by Michael A. Stackpole. Let's get into it. Chapter 10. Tharkad in the Lyran Commonwealth. This is October 3026. So right away, we know we're on Tharkad. This is the capital of the Lyran Commonwealth, right? This is where the Archon hangs out. It's Tharkad. That's cool. We open on this guy right away. They're like, this is Simon Johnson, and he's the chancellor of the Lyran Intelligence Corps. I like to think of it as Hans Davian had Quintus Allard, right? I always thought of this guy. This guy's like the Lyran Quintus Allard, right? Yeah. The Lyran Intelligence Corps, or Lick. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. So we're here. We're with Simon. He's reading this file. I like it says it's marked ultra secret, which is like, it's like above top secret. I'm like, is that real? Is there an ultra secret? This is like the most secret. It's cool though, right? I like, remember when he's like done reading the file, he like pulls this tab on it and like he slides it across the table and it falls into like the trash can and like catches on fire, right? Like burns, it like destroys itself. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Very Inspector Gadget. Heck yeah. And uh, he just like watches it burn, right? And then I feel like the camera pans over and we see across from him, there's a second character in the room and it's Katrina Steiner, Duchess of Tharkad and Archon of the Lyran Commonwealth. Okay. Here we are again. (laughs) What are we at? Chapter 10. We've got the leader of the Lyran Commonwealth. Yep. We've had... Comstar, we've had Federated Sons, now Lyrans. It's like we're hitting every major leader right now. Stackpole's on a heater. Yes. Yeah, this is cool. I was like, oh, so this is like the Lyran version of that other chapter where it was like Quintus and Hans. So yeah, Katrina Steiner is here. And we're like, oh, that's cool. She's the Archon. We get a little description. She's a little over 50 years old. Right. It's not specific. It says she's lithe, tall, and blonde as ever. Right. So we have this tall, slender, blonde woman, eyes so great they were like slivers of steel. Okay. All right. She's cool. So they're talking about that file. Right. Simon had just read this report. We learn that the report, it was informing the Archon of that body double. Right. This is uh, like communication from Hans Davian. And so, yeah, we get this conversation where they just talk about like this body double for a while. 
she asked him if it could happen here, first of all, right? She's like, could someone do this to me? He like thinks about it for a minute. He kind of just like sits there in silence for a moment and she just like kind of looks at him while he like, she's just like, give him a second, let him cook. It's one of those things where it's like, I wonder if this is a show as in he's like, I want to show her that I'm really like putting my head in on it. You know, he is an intelligence guy. It's like, is this a show for her? Or is he really just chewing it over in front of her? And uh, we kind of get the answer here uh, shortly after. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. He's the best. <laughs> it's funny, right? He thinks about it for a while and he's like, hmm, uh, he gives her a good answer, though. He's like, if they were going to do it, it would have to be you'd have to be injured, right? You'd have to have an extended hospital stay, where, especially if you were in a medically induced coma. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We could do it. You could do it. I'm like, oh, good point. That is legit. But I like after that, she asks Simon if they could do what Liao did, if they could make a body double of their own. And this is cool. Oh, right. He brings up that the Liao body double, he brainwashed that guy, right? He had all these false memories, all this like mental conditioning. He, they really like, it was some kind of crazy. They like made this dude yeah. believe he was Hans Davion. That's crazy, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is, yeah, Simon has just read this and he's like, interesting. He's like, it, it'd be flawed from the start. Yeah. You can't brainwash somebody into being another person. Yeah. Eventually they crack. <laughs> Eventually yeah. like the shard fragments and their true self like comes pouring through is in essence what he gives you. This is when Simon brings up the point that if they were going to do it, they wouldn't brainwash someone. Or like, he's like, you know, we wouldn't. I mean, of course we could do a body double. Archon, we just need a volunteer. We would need an actor. And uh, she's like, oh, we could do that? And he's like, of course we could do that. And she's like, hmm, I might be thinking of, uh, hmm, you know, and then and then I, I love this. Simon like reaches in his bag and he's like, I took the liberty of uh, bringing this with me. And he pops it open. Like, my boy's got a whole folder of, like, candidates. He's, like, pre-prepared. He's like, actually, uh, you know, I took the liberty of preparing this uh, folder of candidates for you, Archon, or whatever. And I'm like, he's so good, right? Ice cold. He knew before he read the file, he knew where this was going because he's that good. He's like, I, he's like, I know what this is about. It's almost like maybe... That's why he's in this position in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I also love how they immediately drop the facade of like, we need to talk about this body double situation. Make sure we have a plan in motion to prevent that from happening to us. And then they're like, nah, wouldn't it be real neat if we did it first? Yeah. <laughs> and Yeah, yeah. Well, this is great. I like to think of it as that's not even an issue. As in, this has happened and I imagine that the Archon has enough trust in the head of Lick to kind of carry that out on its own, as in to kind of like close whatever security measures, as much as any security measures can be closed, that is. And so I imagine the, the conversation there doesn't happen because it's probably unnecessary, both for the plot and for this conversation in reality. Oh, good point. <laughs> but this is so cool, though. He, like, hands her the file, and she, like, pops it open. And uh, he's like, yeah, who'd you have in mind? He, Loki agents can pick up any of the people in the, in the files today. And she's just like, cool. I mean, she's, I like, she just takes it, and she's like, as ever, you have anticipated me. And she, like, opens it up, and she's like, oh, I have, yes, we have some excellent candidates. And then we cut to this girl. 
like riding her bike, right? It's an ominous scene change, right? Like you were talking about body doubles and then we just cut to some girl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A random new character. (laughs) I wonder where Stackpole's going with this. Yeah. It's this, it's this girl, Gina Clay. She's like riding her bike. She's practicing for her triathlon and the scene starts she like pulls up in her driveway you know she just finished like a little bike ride oh like this is where you know she pulls up and she's going to her house but she stops and talks to the nice old neighbor man mr tompkins this guy's so nice it's like oh yeah you practicing for your triathlon he's like oh yeah and he's like talking to her about like oh he does mention this is where we learn she's in the 24th lyron guards right that's her unit She's in a military unit because she's talking about the race. She's it's like, oh, are you going to be able to go to your race? And it's like, yeah, if my CO lets me have the day off or whatever. And uh, Tompkins is like, oh, yeah, I knew him when he was a rookie or whatever. They have like a little conversation. It's cute. And uh, she's like, all right, well, I'm going to go inside. And he's like, all right. And so we follow this girl, Gina Clay. She goes in her house, right? It's all quiet. She lives alone. We learn, checks her alarms. She's walking in the hall. She's going to take a shower. I like, of course, we get the moment where she stops and looks in the empty bedroom, right? Mother's bedroom. This is where we learn that she kind of blames herself. Okay. She thinks to herself that if she had been there, then mother wouldn't have died. You know, she would have been killed by that intruder or whatever. You don't get a lot of details, but you're like, oh no, you know, there was like violence. Seems like another one of the trademark stack poll, like... I'm throwing in a whole backstory in like a single sentence. In two paragraphs, we get like a boatload of character development. A lot of what we need to know about Gina Clay, just from her showing up. I like that he just uses kind of her idle thoughts the same way as you would pass by a room and then like something might trigger a thought or a memory. He's just like, boom, we're just going to do this like on the go as usual. We're always moving. And here we are. Yes. She takes a moment and reflects upon mother's bedroom. She goes and she starts the shower, right? She goes in the bathroom, gets the shower going, gets in the shower. Says she like turns on the radio, right? It's very... um, Suburban. And yeah, it is very tense because this girl's just like taking a shower, right? And you're like, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's crazy, right? She's just like taking the shower and then this dude like rips the shower curtain open and she's like, oh no, right? And it's just funny though. She immediately recognizes this guy as a Loki agent. Like it, it like Im- immediately it says it doesn't give a, a like a very detailed physical description. It says he's like a hooded figure. He has like an emblem and she's like Loki. Yeah, she literally thinks to herself, "What is someone from state terrorism doing here yes. after so long?" And in one sentence, we're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> like the reader should be like, yeah. How did they? What do you mean after, after so long? long? It's like, yep. what's going on here? I wanted to point out that in the text, the words "state terrorism" are capitalized like it's a proper noun, which I thought was very. <laughs> it's like state terrorism, and I'm like, is that are, are they from the Department of State Terrorism? It's yes, not like actually. <laughs> I'll literally read the Sarna uh, clip. Loki, named after the Nordic god of lies, is essentially a state-sponsored terrorist unit. Their task is not only to assassinate and sabotage enemies of the state, but also to strike fear into the hearts of the foreign enemies of the Lyran Commonwealth. The excess brutality of Loki agents is infamous 
throughout the whole inner sphere. It's like, oh, we keep all these bad guys around when we need people to do bad things. Yeah. <laughs> Spooks. Goons. But yes, they are. Oops. <laughs> they're literally goons of the state. Yeah. This goon shows up and like attacks her in the shower. And he's got like darts. They have this whole shower fight, right? He's like, she like grabs, throws the towel at him and he's like shooting darts. She dodges two darts. She does during their little fight here. He tries to shoot her twice and she totally dodges two of these uh, like tranquilizer darts, right? She's fighting this dude. It's pretty cool. She messes this guy up. Right. We yeah. get this. She like dives at him and like knocks him over and he falls down and she like jumps on top of him and like knocks him out into, into like the hallway. And uh, they're like crashing down the stairs and stuff. It's like wild. This dude totally botches this. But he like <laughs> what a fumble, though. They're like, go attack that girl in the shower. And like by the end, he's like rolling down the stairs like seconds later, <laughs> like yeah, he gets – yeah, she messes him up. It's awesome. Unfortunately, there was a second dude. So, <laughs> like, she fights this one dude, and then she looks, and she gets shot. And it's like, oh, there's a second guy. And then as she's, like, blacking out, the dude walks up, and he's like, yes, an excellent candidate. And like, oh, cool. So the spooks got her. The spooks got her. It's true. No, and I love how the first guy, he has a monologue moment without actually saying anything where he has to like rip the shower open. It's like, it's us, Loki. And yeah. then she's like, oh, no, not today. She just <laughs> handles that first guy. But it, it was just like, you know, he'd have to be so dramatic about it. You know, he's got <laughs> Trank Darts, just shoot her. <laughs> like, just creak it open, bam. He didn't have to get messed up. But Aaron, the drama... The Aaron. drama, yes. Stop coming we in here it. with your reason. <laughs> Listen, I'm happy Gina messed this dude up. Stackpole needed a naked Jenna to fight this, like, dude in a hoodie down the stairs, all right? And by gosh, we're going to have it. <laughs> and you know what? The book's better for it. I agree. <laughs> okay, and then, all right, I love this. Before the chapter ends, right? Okay, so Gina gets shot. And she blacks out. And then we cut to like the back of the ambulance, you know, the doors closing. And then like the ambulance driver talking to Mr. Tompkins, right? He's like, don't worry, Mr. Tompkins. You did the right thing calling us when you heard her crash down the stairs. And you're like, oh, no. And then Mr. Tompkins is like, oh, she's so young. Can't believe it. And the driver's like, yeah, it's crazy. Had some damage, like some heart uh, damage or something when uh, she, she had like Yanguis fever. When she was training last year, you know, it's crazy. It's in the doctor's hands now. And Mr. Tompkins like, you'll let me know. And it's like, oh, yeah, thank you. And they just like drive off with her. And Mr. Tompkins is like, weird. And that's the <laughs> end of the chapter. And I'm like, man, I love that we went back to Mr. Tompkins. I do too. Yeah. It's not our last moment with Mr. Tompkins either this episode. I think this is all very well employed, right? I like that the tension is immediately on when we at the start of this because you're like, we're just coming off of this conversation with the Archon. Yeah. And you're yep. just like, oh, it has to be relevant. So there's just this like, oh, there's yeah. just this sword hanging over this entire chapter, like <laughs> ready to drop. We know what's <laughs> happened here. Right. This girl's yeah. being yep. kidnapped to be part of the body double program. Right. Once yeah. it's over, yeah. you're like, yeah, we get it. It all makes sense. Yeah. I love that Stackpole treated this like he was on a word diet because <laughs> he just immediately was like that conversation with the Archons over about the body double. Next scene, Gina's here. 
within you know a page we're into the combat she's down what a great candidate and you're like wow stackpole wasted no time establishing that whole arc like within a chapter this is all set up and moving now yeah we're running and it doesn't look like we're bound to stop anytime soon when i read this and especially like the first time i read it the contrast between the like we're over here with Katrina now and earlier we were with Hans and they're they're like different vibes like Absolutely. this one oh, yeah. it feels like ice cold you know what i mean Hans was yeah. like it was like it felt like if you shot it it would be more amber hue huh. it's like the exactly. old boys club they're all like oh like what's he doing now and like and then here it's yeah. like cold lighting you know it's like they're just kind of it, it it like i feel like the scene opens with simon for like 30 seconds of like he's just reading he's just like reading yeah. the file for it's like and yeah yeah you're just like oh man it's like ice cold i, I thought that was neat it felt I that agree. way to me <laughs> it's like scary it like immediately you're like oh the archon's like kind of scary i did also like that i have a feeling it's not going to be the last time we see this but for one of the leaders of the houses to read about something or a plot that another leader of a house put together and that they failed in and then they go, but we could do it better. <laughs> and then they go on was, that same yeah, path. They, they were reading a copy of chapter five, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, Liao couldn't pull this off, but we're not Liao. Yeah, it's almost like this. Keeping up with the Joneses is part of the problem. <laughs> like I said, but who am I? I? In full confidence, don't think it'd be the last <laughs> time we see that. You'd be good to make those bets. <laughs> they kidnapped Gina. Where'd they take her? This girl. It's like it's like here's Gina. She's been snatched. Well, we'll have to find out what happens to Gina in the next chapter. Chapter 11. So it's the next day, right? It says that now it's the 11th of January and the chapter opens with Gina waking up, right? This is where she wakes up in this room, brilliant white. It's just like this very sterile white room. She wakes up. She's like, oh, I'm not restrained. All Lyrians shop at Ikea. She's so hardcore though. She like gets up and she's like, the duty of a prisoner is to escape. She's immediately like, how do I get out of here? I was like, oh, Gina's like hardcore though. Yeah, straight to her military training. Yep. But it's like immediately this little door appears in the wall. At first there's like there's like no doors and then it's like and you see like she sees like this little outline pop out and she's like, "Oh, right." And she's like, "Oh, what's through this door?" She should like goes through the door. Probably and, not plasteel. Yeah. If I'm going to guess. It does it say? It does not. Oh. Nope. Without I, it being, without it saying plasteel, we can't know for certain, Brent. I don't know the properties of plasteel, <laughs> but I imagine appearing and disappearing aren't one of them. But maybe, you know. Maybe indeed. So <laughs> she goes to the store. She's like, you know, what's behind this door? Turns out it's the Archon, right? She, it's so funny. She goes to the store and it's just like another small room, but the Archon is in it. And she's like, oh, my Archon, Katrina. She gestures over, says there's like a small table regular chairs sit down in these chairs let's hang out and she's like oh weird <laughs> gina's on a roller coaster right now 
I like that Stackpole plays that up, though. We get the, like, is this a trick? Am I hallucinating? Yeah. She's thinking all the right thoughts. Yeah, they sit down, and I do like, Gina's like, is this a dream? And the Archon's like, not a dream. At first, the Archon tells her that she's sorry for her loss, the loss of her mother, that she understands the loss. The Archon brings up, it's been 17 years since she lost her husband. And you're like, oh, okay. So she had a husband, but he died 17 years ago. Katrina also tells her that, don't worry, we will find your mother's killer and we will deal with him or her. I have agents like actively hunting the killer of your mother. And she's like, oh, uh, thank you, Archon. And you're like, this is so Katrina's like, don't worry, I have engaged a manhunt. My goons are actively going to uh, like assassinate this man. Don't worry. And you're like, this is she's so why scary. are you doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, but why? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's yeah. a neighborly favor. Like, yeah. like right. hey, I brought your trash cans in. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna assassinate your mother's killer for you, so don't worry. Yeah. Just Archon things. <laughs> I'd love for this scene to have been played like deadpan and her just go like, oh, that's great. Great. You know? Just just Gina. Just like, well, that's not even sure where I am right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. She does. Yeah. She thinks her and she's like, will you forgive me? But like, why am I here? And (laughs) the Archon, she does apologize for the methods employed. She says, I know it was so dramatic. She's like, they assured me it was essential. Listen, and oh, the Archon tells Gina that she is here so that she can ask her to undertake a mission of extreme danger. She says that it will demand selfless concentration and will be totally consuming and could very possibly end with her death. It's funny. Gina is like, oh, thank God it's not for the other reason. And you're like, what? And then she's she's like, anything, Archon. I will do anything you ask. And the Archon's like, oh, wait, hold up. Like, I didn't expect... She's like, wait, I need you to understand. Did you hear? She's like, if you take this mission. She's okay, like backpedaling, you- like, like, hold on. Yeah. You're not supposed to be this It's excited. like weird how yeah. enthusiastic. <laughs> I mean, she's like, yes, I would expect nothing less from a member of the 24th Guards. The Archon tells her, you know, you shouldn't agree to something before you hear it. He's like, even I'm not. <laughs> she's like, Maybe let me tell you. I mean, she's. She tells her it's she's probably like, an uncomfortable position for the Archon. It's probably not very often that she has to help the other hand in negotiations, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's like, you're not supposed to show me the cards while we're playing poker. Like, totally. I'm not the one that's supposed to be off balanced right now. It's you. <laughs> yeah, the Archon tells her, listen, taking this mission means leaving everything behind, right? No more triathlons, no more friends in the unit. No mech. That one stung a little. Yeah, Gina's just like, it's fine. She tells her, she's like, I owe everything to Hal Steiner. She's like, listen, everything I have comes from Hal Steiner. Oh, right. This is where she tells her. She's like, listen, this is not the first time we've met Archon. And (laughs) the Archon's like, oh, yeah, I awarded you a medal. And she's like, no. She says that we first met 22 years ago on Polesbo. And you're like, Polesbo? And the Archon's also like Polesbo. Yeah, Polesbo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she looks at her, but but Gina's like, no, listen, listen. We met 22 years ago when I was three on Polesbo. She says, you sang to me so I wouldn't cry while Loki agents questioned my father downstairs in our house. And the Archon's like, oh. And she look, looks down at the file. She's like, your file doesn't say anything. And Gina tells her, 
Archon, it's because your husband covered our tracks, right? And she tells her, you know, I only know this because my mother told me. And she, I was the only person she ever told about my father because Archon, you knew my father, but you knew him by his code name, Grizzen. Okay. And the Archon's like, oh, whoa, this is wild. And yeah, when the Archon hears the name Grizzen, she's like, oh, snap. She's like, Grizzen. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. She's like, I owe your father my life. He saved me. And this is when the Archon tells Gina the story about how back in the day, right, her uncle Alessandro, who was the Archon at the time, apparently he perceived Katrina as like a potential threat. Basically, she had gone to this place to do like an inspection and she was attacked by like the Archon's goons. It was this like assassination attempt, right? And Gina tells the Archon, my father really believed in you. He really did. He told me that you'd be an Archon worth dying for. And you're like, oh man, this is getting crazy. Katrina, she says that that night she was dining, right? She was having dinner with the Duke of Donegal, Arthur Leuven, her future husband. Okay. So this guy's the Duke of Donegal, Arthur Leuven. This was her husband and his cousin, Morgan Kell. He was fresh out of the Nagel ring, all right? And he had, been, he had been assigned to the Duke's personal guards. So that's cool, right? Because Katrina's telling the story. She's like, yeah, we were having dinner. It was tight. And then like these Loki agents attacked us. We ran and we're like, oh man, Loki agents attacked her too. They attack everyone. They're just like <laughs> out here. They just attack people. It's like they're state terrorism. State <laughs> terrorism. And so we were running through the streets we got lost. And then like this guy found us, right? This dude comes up to us and he, he tells us, Hey, I'm from Heimdall. Loki wants you. Therefore they won't get you. Call me Greason. Let's go. <laughs> Heimdall. What's Heimdall? Who, who's Heimdall? What's Heimdall? Yeah. Heimdall. We got Heimdall here. What's exactly. going on? Heimdall's kind of like for the Lyrans. I think there's a good crossover between D and D and Battletech. So I think when I use the example of the Harpers, it's very Harpers adjacent. They're kind of like, if Loki is like the secret bad guys, Heimdall's kind of like almost there to keep them in check. <laughs> so they're, they're state <laughs> counter-terrorists. That, exactly. That's you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> Katrina tells her that you know when I met this guy, he said he's from Heimdall, and she'd heard of Heimdall. She says, "Oh yeah, Heimdall, the underground organization opposed to the Lyran Intelligence Corps and to Loki in particular. It's like this counterweight, like underground, like organization. This is cool. The interesting <laughs> part is that they're technically part of the same organization. They're all part of Lick, but they're all these like." It's some real, like, left hand can't know what the right hand's doing kind of deal. It's a bit wild. <laughs> when I read this, all I could think about is there must be somebody within the intelligence office that has to sit there and get paperwork from both. And he's just like, this is a mess. Like, I've got to file this. This is going to be my whole weekend. And that's every day for him. It's some real, like, you ever read in the news when, like... 
two government agencies arrest each other. It's like yeah. a sting. It's some real that energy. <laughs> Wait, but so does Heimdall work for the state or are they independents? Well, they are technically independent, but they are made up of people who make up the state. So you tell me. <laughs> Got some documents, folks. <laughs> so we learned that it was Greason who organized the raid to get Katrina off Polsbo that night. He provided clothing and disguises. They raided the spaceport. They staged a little raid and they stole a shuttle. And it's cool. There's like this whole little story here. Gina's like, oh yeah, the Loki op shot my father after he blew up the radar tower. And the Archon's like, I know. Actually, I had a radio link with your father. He blew the tower so that we could escape. And the last thing your father said to us was, you're free. Return the favor to the Commonwealth. How cool is this? It's like, oh, yeah, we were on the radio to the last second when they blew it. And we were like just barely getting away in like the stolen shuttle. I'm like, this is cool. It's just I love how Stackpole takes a few paragraphs and he's like, by the way, here's my elevator pitch for a really cool action movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's some real like this is like the opening act of a James Bond movie, you know, like before the title card. (laughs) Bond. Gina Bond. Katrina tells her that. You know, I tried to find out your father's identity. I tried to like track him down, like pull the files, but it's like, I can never crack Heimdall. She says that she doesn't even think that Comstar knows what Heimdall is, dude. She's like, <laughs> not even Comstar can get in there. This stuff is hardcore. She does say, <laughs> but I was able to tighten the reins on the LIC and Loki no longer runs rampant. And I'm like, is that true? <laughs> Allegedly. I think- that sounds like a statement every Archon has said. Yeah, yeah, classic Archon line. It's yeah. like... This whole thing has some real, like, Tom and Jerry energy. Yeah. You know, yes. Loki got pretty out of hand under the last guy. But under me, like, they're doing good work. Like, everyone says this. There's still, like, state terrorism, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe call them something else. Yeah. Doesn't sound very Loki. <laughs> At least when uh when Hans Davion decides to do something, he's like pretends they're like, oh, you know, we're actually it's for the greater good. <laughs> uh, we'll have right. some Hans Davion moments in a little bit. We so. really will. <laughs> so oh I do like the Archon tells her this story about when Gina's father saved her life. And at the end of it, she tells Gina, she's like, Look, honestly, in view of your family's sacrifices, I can't allow you this duty. Now this seems cruel. Your family did so much. And now I'm like, oh, I'm going to black bag you. She's like, I don't know. Now I feel bad about it. But Gina's <laughs> like serious. She's like, no, Archon, please. You got to let me do it. <laughs> I love your rendition. All of a sudden, the movie just got black and white. It's some yeah. like early 30s. Like, no, like overacting. Like, you must let me do it, Archon. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's great. She tells her, she's like, Archon, you don't understand. Your husband was a member of Heimdall. He'd been a member for years. You know, it was, he was secretly, he knew my father. They were both in Heimdall together. That's how he was able to save you that night. And after that whole situation, it was your husband 
who did the whole restructuring of my files and I got a scholarship and he arranged all this like assistance and it was all these secret accounts and he secretly looked after us. I don't even think you know, but like he was in Heimdall too. <laughs> the Archon learns it today. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, the Archon doesn't know, right? Like this is news to her. Yeah. This is probably a very rare day for the Archon where somebody like walks into a room with them and just lays out a whole bunch of family history that ties to them that they had no idea about. And my favorite part is the Archon still trying to like, Gina, I still haven't even told you what I want you to do yet. Like, please let me tell you what I'm asking of you before you immediately agree to do it. It's so funny. It's very funny. Yeah, Gina's like pleading. She's like, everything I have is like from the Commonwealth. You've given me everything. Like, I just want to be able to give back. I want to serve you. And you're like, oh man, she's hardcore though. Gina is though. She goes wild. She's <laughs> like, I'm all about it. She's all about it. She it is. Makes sense. She's like ready to like ride or die. She's so loyal. Finally, the Archon tells Gina what it is she wants her to do. She tells her, what I ask of you is a total sublimation of yourself. Gina Clay will cease to exist. You will undergo a minor amount of reconstructive surgery. All right. You'll spend the next six months in an intensive learning environment where everything you are will be broken down and discarded. And you will learn to do everything differently. And you will receive neither medals nor applause. In fact, the mark of your success will be total anonymity. If you accept this mission, you will be forgotten forever. (laughs) Oh, Gina doesn't even say anything, right? She just like stands at attention. And the Archon's like, oh, Johnson was correct. You're an excellent candidate. And she's just looking at her and she says, Gina Clay, will you accept the role of my daughter's double for now and all time? And you're like, oh, cool. She's going to be the body double for Katrina's daughter which we know is Melissa Steiner, right? The girl that's marrying Hans Davian. Yeah. So Gina Clay is going to be her double. This is cool. I hope Simon's getting a raise after all this. Yeah, he he killed it. The perfect person. Crushed it. He didn't even know how hard he crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best, man. Oh, (laughs) dude, let's go. And then the chapter (laughs) ends. All right. We cut... To the funeral, dude. And it's like you see the Lyran guards walking away, her like unit, the crowd starts, and then it's just like one figure, Mr. Tompkins, standing there. And he just like leans down and he places a flower. And we see he says, Rest well, Gina Clay. Though your life was cut short, you made all Heimdall proud. And you're like, dude, Mr. Tompkins <laughs> was in Heimdall. How Everybody's cool is this? Heimdall. Everyone's in, yeah, everyone is in Heimdall. When you're born in the Lyran Commonwealth, you either get a Heimdall or Loki stamp put on your birth certificate, and that tells you which group you're in. I think Stackpole was hitting the Clancy novels a little hard. Dude, but you, okay, but I was like, oh, Mr. Tompkins was assigned mm-hmm. to like watch her. Of course. You know, he's been this yeah. secret guardian the whole time. <laughs> it's beautiful, really. Like this whole yeah. thing, it's I was joking there about the Clancy novels, but it's so well interweaved. There's just this I love that the the Archon's just like, 
my husband like the, <laughs> like <laughs> nobody walked into that room ready for what was about to be exchanged as far as yep. information went right stackpole's just throwing firecrackers into the plot like every <laughs> other sentence this chapter just something's popping off but that's the real question here is yeah. when we get down to the end of this chapter the first time i read this i was like interesting but what the hell does this have to do with anything else that's going yep. on? Yep. And I'm sure any reasonable reader is asking <laughs> the same question. I know I did. I was like, we've gone way <laughs> off the path here. We've established it. Stackpole does a great job establishing it. But I was like, I have no idea where this is all going to fit into all of this. You know it's going to. You know Stackpole has a reason to go off for two chapters about this. <laughs> and I just, for the life of me, could not put together where it was going to come out. Yeah, it's a bit of a detour. But I love these characters, though. I, I was like, yeah, dude. When we cut to, like, the intelligence. I love any time anyone's talking to their, like, head of intelligence. Those are, like, <laughs> my favorite scenes. Anytime you're, like, talking to a guy. Anytime it's some dudes, like going through files i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be a good one it's always cool to just be yeah to be up in some head honcho's business just like seeing what's what's going on it's one of those staples that battletech maintains from here on out don't get me wrong there's absolutely books that don't have this scale yeah it does seem like now if stackpole's taking us to a throne room he's about to drop a bomb into the plot Something big's about to happen. I'm sad we didn't get to a sneak peek at those griffins, though. But uh, maybe next time. <laughs> One day we'll be at those throne room griffins. All right. So we got a body double. He set it up. Let's go. But it's yeah, we Jenna. were doing something, right? Justin did get arrested. Oh, yeah. That's right. So we'll have to leave Tharkad here, see what's going on in New Avalon in the next chapter. Chapter 12. We're back on New Avalon. All right. It's the 20th of January, and this is it. This is the trial of Justin Allard. We're here. We got Count Anton Vitios. He's the prosecutor. Okay. We got Justin here. He's got a lawyer. We'll learn Lofton, right? But yeah, we got a whole military tribunal situation going on for Justin here. The chapter, it cold opens. Yeah, exactly. It opens with. Count Videos calling Lieutenant Andrew Redburn to the stand, right? So Andy's here. It's cool. He calls on him and it says that Redburn wiped his moist palms against his trousers as he stood up. He's very sweaty. He goes up to the thing, sits in the chair. Oh, they, I did like, they swear him in, okay? And they swear him in on a copy of the unfinished book. That's what it says. Is this a Battletech thing? I've never heard of this. The Unfinished Book Movement is a spiritual organization formed in 2956 and located in the Federated Sons. It seeks to combine the wisdom of multiple faiths into one overarching work, referred to as the Unfinished Book, based on the original goal of its founder to promote total peace through collaboration of interfaith religious study. Holy moly, I had 
no idea about this. I have never heard of this in Battletech at all. And if I did, I missed it reading this multiple times here. This is interesting. I'm going to have to read more into this. In Sarna, there's like a picture of like monks the unfinished book, religious um, movements. It's cool. He gets sworn in on the unfinished book. And he also, he looks over at Justin's table. He's like, what's Justin doing? And we just see Justin's just staring like straight ahead, just like motionless, <laughs> just staring at the wall. And he sees he's got the black leather glove. He's like, oh, weird. He's like, he looks so mad. He looks like nothing. He's like completely dissociated. All right. And so now begins the prosecution of Andrew Redburn. Videos comes up. He's like full name and rank. Lieutenant Andrew Bruce Redburn. I do like it points out that Andy makes sure to hit the R's pretty hard because uh, he's Scottish. <laughs> he's like, I hit the R's pretty hard because uh, I'm Scottish. Yeah, he hits the Redburn. <laughs> I thought that was good. So the first part of this prosecution, right, is about Count Videos is asking Andy about the events of that day, right, when Justin got injured. And he's asking him, why did Major Allard attend with you guys that day? And Andy tells him, oh, because I requested his participation. And Count Videos is like, yes. And you requested his participation like four times, right? You had to uh, like badger him. In fact, Major Allard didn't actually agree to come with you. He didn't actually confirm that, yes, I'll come with you until literally the day before. And it was because you had called a private meeting with him. Is that correct? And and he's like, I mean, yeah, I did. We learned <laughs> that Andy had asked him to come along with on their exercises like multiple times. And Justin had yet to come with him. This was his first time going out with the boys. And the day before, Andy had spoken with Justin about the morale, the unrest in the unit. Count Videos is like, oh, so what was this unrest all about? And Andy, he's like, listen, recruits seldom like their CO especially when he's tough on them. No one likes their boss. Videos hits him back. He's like, but were there not demonstrations of support for Sergeant Philip Capet? Hmm? Weren't the troops furious because Major Allard, without provocation, had dismissed a gold sunburst winner? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh yeah, here's that thing again about a Philip Capet. Yeah, you know, Pets. here's Capet, Pets dude. back in the scene. Right. Weren't they mad that he kicked Capet out? And they're like, yeah, what are you going to do? He's like, yeah, I asked him out because I thought it'd be good. It'd help like boost the morale. The count starts laying into him. He's like, Major Allard, did he not regularly traffic with the indigs, right? He was always <laughs> hanging out with them. Was he not? Andy, how could these recruits trust a man who regularly traveled among, met with, and preferred the company of the enemy to what should have been his own people? And he, yeah, he's like going in. Basically, this whole thing is about Justin was always hanging out with the Capellan people when they were on Kittery. Video says all these reports. He's like, he was always hanging out with them. Of Capellan heritage. Yes. However, yeah. for all intents and purposes, these indigenous peoples, for all intents and purposes, were people of the Federated Sons, right? So Vitios is being open. I did notice that Videos left that completely out. He, he left it yeah. completely out. It, honestly, he's kind of exposing himself here, if anything. But he clearly has a slant, as a prosecutor would. Yes. He says indics. 
too. And we learned back in Mercenary Star, that's generally Mm -hmm. not a word you use if you're trying to be respectful. It's a little crass. It's got some sharp edges. McCall says it and Grayson's like, dude, shut up. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Count Videos is going in, right? Justin's attorney objects at one part. The Count goes back to it, though. Lieutenant, did Major Allard visit with Indigs on any sort of regular basis? And Andy's like, I mean, yeah. Oh, he brings up the community relations committee meetings each week because Justin was doing, he had this whole community relations thing. That was his job, though was to like establish community relations <laughs> with the local community. Specifically why Hans Davion himself appointed him to the position. Yeah. yeah. Videos is like he's going in. He's like he's like leaning in like, don't you remember how we love to eat at the Chinese restaurants? Andy, <laughs> did you forget? And Andy's like, I didn't forget. And he's like, did you forget? He has indig servants in his home. He has like a maid and you're like, what's going on? This is insane. It's like so racist. Yes. He's going wild. It's really just become an attack against Justin Allard's character. An accusation of like, he's in bed with the people of this area. That's what I was reading when videos is questioning Redburn. I was like, all of his points really point out that Justin was good at his job. Yeah. Yeah. He he had a a native population of people that are now being acclimated to a new political environment. What you said there is perfect, though. You just said, like, all of these statements could easily be taken as, like, it just goes to show you if someone wants to invert anything, you can flip anything. There are two sides to every coin. If you can make someone look bad, even if they're not, or look good in the other case. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Brent. Obviously, this is obvious. (laughs) I agree. Because Stackpole is making it such an attempt to make it obvious. Right. That this is almost comical in Vidios's push of all of this. And... That it comes across, even without having the previous chapters of Justin, you could point at this and say, like, oh, there's an issue going on right now. (laughs) There's something happening beyond these initial questions. Yeah. It's like total hatchet job. (laughs) Like, he's not slowing down, by the way. It's like, as soon as he's like... He's just getting started. He's like, he wouldn't even eat at the restaurants, Andy. And then he's like, don't you remember Shang Dao? And Andy's like, yeah, I know Shang Dao. How do you know Shang Dao? I was introduced to him by Justin. It's like, and who's Shang Dao, Andy? We learn Shang Dao is the leader of the Yeezy Tong in Shao Shan. Videos tells him, he's like, hasn't the CID identified the Yeezy Tong as a Capellan organization? This guy was the leader and he was tight with Justin. Think about that. And Andy's like, wow, that's a great point. He's like starting to crack though. Andy is like yeah. the pressure, the the like spectacle is getting to yeah. him. And he's, he's like, getting, Do I even know he's my drowning, friend? Drowning, dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, he's drowning, bro. The video's sinister flip of Justin's life here, it's getting to him. He's buying what videos is selling. Do we think Andy is a moron though? Or is he just swept up in all of this or is he avoiding implicating himself is he seeing this writing on the wall of oh they want justin and 
if I don't feed these next couple lines, I might be right next on the docket after him. I think it just goes to show the tempo of Vidios's attacks. They're wearing yeah. down Andy. Count Vidios brings up that contact between Fedson's personnel and the Yeezy Tong is forbidden. He's even like, hey, I see right here, you guys dismissed a cadet for trafficking with restricted personnel. That's what it says. And Andy's got to be like, listen, he was actually addicted to opium and we didn't want to charge him with that, but we wanted to get him off Kittery. There's like this whole little story right here where uh, they didn't want to like give this kid a drug charge. It is funny to come back, but it's like you dismiss someone for the exact thing that Justin Allard does. It's like, oh man, he's killing him. But he's saying that basically Justin regularly met with this guy, Shang Dao, which is technically against the rules, right? Technically, because he's part of this like appellant organization, like they, they weren't supposed to be um, trafficking with restricted personnel, if you will. And for a moment, like the light shines in. We see like, it's like, oh, this guy made some poor choices, but Justin Allard and Andy Redburn, they clearly were like, we don't want to screw this guy. And so you get this moment where the light shines in, where it's like, oh, they are good guys. And Vidios immediately is like, commendable, Lieutenant. Yeah. But the fact remains that Major Allard regularly met with the Shang Dao in violation of CID directives. He doesn't miss a beat to, like, pull the curtains back again and to get right back at gutting Justin Allard. So smooth. You know, get him on the podcast. (laughs) Oh, so this is where he pulls out the transcript of the battle recorders, right, from that day in the field. He's like, don't forget, and he whips out the packet, and he's like, I have a transcript of your mech's battle recordings. He congratulates Andy for his quick thinking and calm under fire. He's like, you know, you save your command from a savage ambush. And Redburn's like, nice, thanks. And I'm like, he looks over at Justin again to see what he's doing. And you see like Justin's lawyer is like whispering in his ear, but Justin's still just like looking straight ahead. He hasn't moved. <laughs> just like motionless, like staring at the wall. And he's like, oh no. <laughs> Count Vidios asks him, we know the Capellan mechs were waiting for you. Why was that? Why were they waiting for you? You guys walked into an ambush. What happened? And this is where we've heard about this before, about how Andy was required to file the forms with the civilian government in Shaoshan, detailing like, remember it was like very minute details about their line of travel and all that. They had this whole conversation about it back in Justin's office. And videos, this is when he's like, oh, Shang Dao is a member of the civilian government, isn't he? And, and he's <laughs> like, yeah, but like, everyone knows this. Everyone knew that we were there and like what we were doing. In fact, food peddlers from the town came out that day to sell us lunch. Like on our lunch break. This is the most realistic part of this whole thing. I was I, I, every time I read this, I laugh. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, everyone knew where we were, right? It it was literally it was not a secret, right? It was like the opposite of a secret. We broadcasted our location. He's pushing back a little bit. And I'm yeah. like, Andy, he's hit a stride. I think he's finally catching up. He's like, oh wait, I gotta, yeah. I gotta do something about this, dude. I love this. Andy's like, listen. We mech warriors bake inside our machines. 
None of us want to eat anything that's been cooked in the same oven if we can avoid it. Remember, sir, that government contracts go to the lowest bidder, which says a lot about the quality of rations, especially out on the frontier. And like everyone starts laughing. It's like literally like everyone claps. And uh, even like, it's, like it's so funny. He kills him. Yeah. What's going on with the cafeteria food? Count Videos is just like, uh-huh. Let me ask you, what did Major Allard say to you? When uh, Private William Sonak, remember Sonak? Yeah. Uh, whose stinger was positioned above the cicadas that would kill him, reported strange mag scan readings. What did Justin say? And he's like, I don't remember. He's like, don't worry, I have the transcript. He said, Andy, check Sonak's readings. I got something over the hill I want to see. And Videos is like, so your commanding officer leaves a junior officer in charge of green troops in a hostile area while he goes over the hill to check something whose existence no one else can verify. Right? Do I got that right? You know, and you're like, <laughs> oh, he's cooking. He's going in. I did like the way that Stackpole had videos frame that question because the fact that it opens up with Sonic. Yeah. who was right above the cicadas that would come and kill him to make it seem like that combat had already started. Even though when Justin, in the next sentences, he explains, oh, we went to check on something, but you're in a hostile zone, even though nothing had really kicked up yet. So he was doing the exact same thing he was giving Andy to check in on as well. Videos is wielding both the reader's and the people in the courtroom's emotions against them, right? Yeah. Every single word is well-crafted to just... Yeah. It's a honed edge in an attempt to make you believe his version of the story, which isn't yeah. all a lie, but it certainly feels like it. Yes. Remember, this is Michael Hasek Davion's guy. He sent this guy yep. personally to come prosecute this trial. He found like the worst dude. <laughs> so the best worst dude. Videos is asking him about when Justin left them and went over the hill. And he's like, do I have that right? And before Andy can even answer, he just like keeps going. He's like, I'll tell you what happened. Justin told you to withdraw South, right? And private crayon Got on the radio. He said, negative, negative. I've got mag scan readings off the scale, south, east, and north. You're clean, sir. We got to head out west. Remember that? When they were all like, no, the only way out, we should go your way because that rifleman was there. You know what I mean? It was like that trap. It does, though. It makes Justin, it is like suspicious. Or at least you see how it's like, you're like, oh, man, this is not going well. You're like, uh-oh. Yeah, videos keeps going. He's like, a senior officer. The graduate of a superior military academy and a diamond sunburst winner has just learned that his command is surrounded. Like, he's like, what? He, he's only half a click over a hill. Didn't you expect him to return, Lieutenant? And like, yeah, Andy is cracking, dude. He's like, he's just like nodding along. He's got him. He's got him. He's just like yep. reeling him in at this point. Yep. It's a real, like, turn to the jury energy. You f yes, exactly. It feels like even Andy has lost faith. He's like, yeah, I was. It is weird that he did that. Yeah. And then he just closes him out. You see videos just, like, leans in and he's like... His faith's shaken. You felt betrayed, didn't you? And Andy says, 
yes, I'm finished with this witness. And then, and then the judge is immediately like, give him the hour. This court will adjourn. And Justin's lawyer is like, wait, hold on. Wait, I want to ask this. I want to talk to this guy. What do you mean we're done? As soon as videos finishes, the judge adjoins the court, but he tells Justin's lawyer, he's like, remember that Prince Davion is having a reception for Lieutenant Redburn, right? Because he's here to get the medal for his actions. This is like a whole thing. It's like this whole like publicity tour as well. No, he doesn't let him talk to him. He's like, he'll be too tired. You can't talk to him. You got to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> and you're like, this is crazy. It kind of gives the impression that even the court's out to get Justin. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is the moment where the reader could have the suspicion that this is on rails. But this is the definitive point of it. If where the judge is sitting there going, we can't tucker this man out. He's had all these questions already. We can't have a cross-examination now. That would be insane to think of. Yeah. It's such an honor that he'll receive tonight. And you're just like, I don't think that's how courtrooms work. And I think Stackpole knew that doing it intentionally to tip off that like, oh, this is all going according to plan. It's a real kangaroo court situation. Yeah, Lofton's so mad. He kind of snips back at the judge and the judge is like, whatever, court is adjourned, 930 tomorrow. And as for you, Lieutenant Lofman, no more statements like that. Court is adjourned. We're done for the day. Good job. Pack it in, boys. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this whole chapter was just count videos, just cracking Andy Redburn. Beautiful work, really. He's the best. And just like that, we went from a political spy thriller to a courtroom drama in two chapters. Yes. Yes. We've just transitioned thematically completely. And it's a smooth transition. Yeah, no wit last year. And he, he comes in with the cold open mid-court case. He doesn't yep. bother describing the court. No. Nope. He doesn't bother. You know it. You see it. He doesn't bother, right? Because it doesn't matter. We got to get through this. Yes. What's important is where this moves the plot. And he's just going. Absolutely. Just cruising forward through it. I got to say, though, the tone here is concerning. It's like not going that well for Justin. Oh, we just this thing just got started. And like already it feels like it's kind of sliding a little out of control here. I think you're being conservative in that viewpoint. I would say it is going terrible for Justin at this point. It it is all uphill. I was. I was being generous. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think a single question from videos went Justin's way. No, Andy tried too. He tried. He <laughs> he tried so hard. Shout out to Andy. He broke him though. He did. You felt betrayed, didn't you? Yes. It's like, oh no. No. We're done here. <laughs> he you notice how he throws him away. As soon yeah. as he gives him what he wants, he just yeah. like he slings yeah. him off his hand like it's some yeah. like booger yeah. on the sidewalk. It's uh disgusting. So yeah, but uh yeah, we're done for the day. Let's all go home. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. Court's adjourned. <laughs> and we'll have to find out if Justin's got a stronger case tomorrow in the next chapter. Chapter 13. Dun dun. <laughs> 22nd of January. Okay, so it is the next day. And we open with this scene 
Justin talking to Lofton, his lawyer. Justin wants to go on the stand. That's what this is. We get this bit where Justin's like, put me on the stand. Let me go up. Lofton won't let him though. He's like, no, that's a, a bad idea. You know, you shouldn't do that. Considering what we've just seen, <laughs> I almost agree with him. Yeah. Oh, Justin brings up, he's like, I read the text of General Courtney's speech at Andy Redburn's reception. He already believes I'm guilty. So it turns out that the judge was at that party where he also made a speech. Justin was like, oh man, he thinks I'm guilty. And Justin's like, I got to get up there. I got to say my truth. And Lofton's like, say what? What could you say? What could you add? That would justify giving videos a direct shot at you. This could be disastrous. And Justin, though, I, I, look, he's like, listen, okay? Courtney is a commander of men. He's made battle decisions before. I served under him. I can convince him of my innocence. I can touch that cord deep inside. Every soldier who's ever had to make that decision to send men out to die. And Lofton's like... Are you insane? Like, what are you talking about, dude? That doesn't know. It's, it's still no. Justin makes this impassioned. It's so dramatic. It's like, he tries to sell yeah. it so hard. He's like, I'm going to touch that inside him. And Lofton's like, you're not. That's, <laughs> not, that's like not a thing you're going to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you see Andy up there? Yeah. He yeah. fell apart. <laughs> exactly. Lofton says, Justin, Redburn was, is, your friend, and videos made mincemeat of him. He'll do the same to you. I'm not going to do it. He'll hurt you badly, Justin. Justin's just like, <laughs> all right, this is your battlefield, David. Just remember, I'm ready if you need reinforcements. And you're like, he's losing it. This dude, <laughs> yeah. he's like, it's so crazy. I'm like, Justin, what are you talking about, dude? He's having a bad time. Poor Justin. I mean, if there's an excuse to go off the deep end, this is a good one. No, it is. It is. I feel so bad. The reality is, is that like Justin can't help but feel helpless here, right? It's very easy to transplant yourself into his shoes. Yeah. And Justin is a man who clearly likes to fight his own fights. And yeah. he can't do that here. This other guy, this uh, Lieutenant Lofton is having to do it for him. And there's a lot on the line and Justin really can't do anything about it. No. It can't be great. He's straight up not having a good time. <laughs> yeah. He won't put him on. He's like, not going to happen. So, oh, then we cut to an argument about the hollow tapes. We get the hollow tape argument. We get this whole bit where Count Videos wants to use these hollow tapes, right? And Lieutenant Lofton is like, no, you can't use the hollow tapes because um it's witness testimony that he can't cross examine because it's a hollow tape. Exactly. It's like a no, that doesn't work. I can't uh, it's like you bring in these guys, but I can't talk to these guys. You're just gonna play them on tape. Like, what is this? It's like that isn't even I can't cross examine them. This doesn't work. And then I like videos brings up Mwije versus Nebula Foods. He's like, well, remember Mwije versus Nebula Foods. The court allowed the plaintiff to present hollow tapes because of the prohibitive cost of uh, bringing witnesses to the site of the trial. And like Lofton's just like, what? Huh? He starts, he's like, what? 
He's like, it seems like, you know, if Duke Hasek Davion can afford to send his own hatchet man to persecute my client, uh, I think that he should be able to afford to send the witnesses too. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, dude, it's like, it's getting wild. It just, we like, this chapter starts, we get the scene of like, put me on the stand. And he's like, no. And then it cuts straight to him arguing with Count Videos about the hollow tapes. They're just like, anyway. Uh, he loses, right? It's uh, yep. you know, Lofton starts to get snippy. The judge, of course, bangs the gavel. Hey, you know, this is a this is a military trial. Conduct yourself in a military manner. Oh, and the judge is like, the witnesses on those tapes are experts in the field, Lieutenant Lofton. Count videos proceed, and Lofton's like, how would you know, Your Honor? <laughs> Have you watched the tapes? And the judge is like, oh yeah, I've seen them. And he's like, what's going on here? This is insane. And then they just turn the lights down and they start playing the tapes. Lofton is like crying, right? He's like <laughs> drowning. I just see Lofton like crash back into his chair next to Justin, like throw his hands up. Yeah. Just like, oh, well, well I don't think we're going to get anywhere today. Well, you know, get comfy. We got some tapes to watch. <laughs> and then I love, we just get a time skip. And then I feel like the, it, just, it just cuts to like the projector screen getting reeled back up. Like the lights coming back on and it's yep. the last Hasek Davion expert faded from the view screen. As it like goes up, videos is there when like the lights come on, he's like standing in the middle <laughs> with his arms out, just like, and then this man says, in short, your honor, the witnesses confirmed that major Allard's Valkyrie was damaged by auto cannon and laser fire as he has maintained. They found enough chemical residue and spent projectiles from an autocannon to suggest, as Major Aller reported, that he tried to evade the mech shooting at him. But because of their inability to recover data from Major Allard's damaged battle recorder, they have no way of verifying that he fought off a rifleman. In fact, given evidence in the field, they have concluded that he faced. An urban mech. And you're like, huh? An urban mech? That's what this, that's what the case hinges on. So hold on now. They brought Michael, they sent a bunch of tapes about experts that to make the case for actually it was an urban mech. That's their case. This is so funny. What is this? It's like not only that, your honor, but it wasn't even a rifleman. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it was an Irby. And they're like, what is this? Luckily, we have an expert with us here today to provide some expert testimony of his own. Brent, tell me about the Urban Mech, please. The Urban Mech, 30 tons. That is the weight of a UMR60 Urban Mech. The Urban Mech is... A strategic weapon, cheap to produce and effective at its role. The Urban Mech, as its name suggests, is a city fighter. It's handicapped in conventional mech combat by its Lenex 60 fusion engine that allows the Urban Mech to churn out a max speed of 32.4 kph, which is wow, at most <laughs> crisp, yet underwhelming. So what is the upside? Well, the R60 has a class 10 autocannon. Okay. Specifically a Imperator B autocannon, which is a lot of gun for a 30-ton light mech of this gun. era. 
And it's backed up by a Harman light laser, which is not really that remarkable. Listen, the Urban Mech is a turret with legs. It's cheap. <laughs> it can be used in mass for urban defense. And when it is used for that, it is very effective. When it is not, it's likely a pile of rubble. Heck, even <laughs> when used effectively, a few will inevitably be a pile of rubble regardless. Here's the thing, though. The elephant in the room. The urban mech is cute. Girls dig the little dude. They love the urban mech. There are memes. There's so many memes. For years, the only Battletech memes also happened to be urban mech memes. Is as much the face of Battletech as the Atlas, Battlemaster, Timberwolf, or Mad Dog. It is loved. It's hated. There are plushies. Catalyst has a giant blow-up urban mech. It's oh, almost yeah. one one scale. It's huge. It's huge. That's true. Even if we are your first experience when it comes to Battletech, you have very likely probably already heard of the urban mech. Its reputation proceeds it. It's yes. very, very underwhelming <laughs> reputation, which is why this is... Such a kick in the balls for yes. Justin Allard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole, he brings all these tapes with these guys. It's all this testimony just so they can be like, that won't know Rifleman. He's lying. That was an urban <laughs> mech. He's lying about that Rifleman. It was actually an urban mech. It's like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that's way less cool. <laughs> and, like, oh, wow. and Lofton's just like oh, I object and it's like, he looks terrible it says that he's like dying and like everyone's just like oh it's like ripples of unrest throughout the courtroom like an urban mech you know Ooh, like scandalous it's unbelievable it just feels like they, they would have come out and been like we tried to think it was a stinger but no one would have believed that <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that what they're trying to pull off is that it had a class 10 autocannon. It's kind of weird that they're even using this. I guess you could say that a class 10 autocannon creates similar wear patterns to, I don't know. To me, this seems like it's really just like they're throwing it into the wind and in hoping it sticks in the, the fact that there's no retaliation means yes yeah they can just do what they want that's the way i took it too because i was thinking about it when i read this and i was like they're experts at they'd have to be mech experts to identify that but there is still like whether you have the recordings or not there's still a physical presence of that battle and i'd assume that the foot of a rifleman and the foot of an urban mech are very different as well as the difference in tonnage would also be very it would, evident it would displace the mud and dirt very differently yeah which is really like it's like what how is this court proceeding happening without that evidence being available it's yeah. just now it just further goes to show how much of dog and pony show this is yeah it's so funny when i got there i was like an urban mech he didn't know how funny it like got funnier over time. I did think about that. Right. <laughs> I think that this got, I think that this got better over time. He didn't date. Yes. Yeah. I was, which I, I thought, I don't was, think uh, the urban mech didn't start out as, yeah. 
I right, like like this is definitely something that's like Eve. You're yeah. right. It has aged. Yeah, this is aged like wine. <laughs> by the way, yes. this is an incredible. I love this. I did want to point out though, Lofton does get that little whole thing that video said there, where he's like, you know, because of their inability, given the evidence, he faced an urban mech, and then Lofton is like, um. Objection. He's just making a statement. That's not even a question. And then like <laughs> the judge is like, he's right. Like strike those comments. And then like videos as he's like walking past Loft and he like gives him a little like tips his cap to him. He's like, all right, that's fine. Because the prosecution calls Quintus Allard to the stand. And you're like, what? Quintus Allard, dude, that's Justin's father. That's the intelligence guy. And so, yeah, Quintus Allard walks in. And he's so mad, right? The whole, they, they bring him in and they swear him in and stuff. And he's just, he's like visibly irritated the whole time that he's even here, which I thought was funny. I like, as soon as they swear him in, Count Videos turns to the judge and he's like, your honor, you can see this will be a hostile witness. And uh, he's <laughs> like, yeah. And, um, and now we get this whole examination of Quintus Allard, right? This is cool. And I was like, oh, interesting. This is interesting, dude. This is Justin's father. He clearly hates Count Videos, right? That's established immediately. Quintus, he hates this guy. And he's like very upfront about it, which is like funny. So Count Videos asks him that as acting minister of intelligence, information, and operations, did you attend the interrogation of this captured Capellan mech warrior? And Quintus is like, yeah. And Videos asks him, in this interrogation, did you identify him as a member of the Yiji Tong? And did you identify him as one of the people who claims some knowledge of the ambush in which your son was injured? And Quintus is like, yes. And he says, what did he identify as the type of mech that destroyed your son's Valkyrie? And it says, pain creased Quintus Allard's face as the answer came reluctantly from his lips. An urban mech. And the, yeah, Lofton stands up. This is an interesting detail, though. There's something here. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. We know. Yeah, yeah. Unless Michael Stackpole has been an unreliable narrator, we know pretty much without a doubt that that was a rifleman he fought. Yes. Yes, it was. So, so that means... That this guy that they captured and, and interrogated was like a plant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I see Lofton objects. Objection, Your Honor. This is hearsay. And Fidius is like, are you doubting Quintus Allard? He continues to ask him about that captured mech warrior. He says, Lo Ching Wei also surrendered the identity of an agent within the Federated Sun's forces in Shaoshan. Did he not? And what was the designation the Tong gave to this agent? Quintus says they called him Ivory. And I like videos closed his eyes and clasped his hands before him like a man in prayer. This guy is like, <sighs> and what is that designation in Capellan, Minister Allard? And Allard's like, Zhang Ya. He's like, louder, please. Zhang Ya. <laughs> I've said it. And you're like, oh, it's like Zhang Ya. And you're like, okay, right there, that's like, okay, he's, we know he's Justin Jiang Allard, and they're saying that, they're, yep. that their agent went by the codename Jiang Ya. But not only that, 
Videos is like, no, that is not enough. In the interrogation, Lowe identified the agent. He identified him as your son, Justin's young Allard, didn't he? And Quintus is like, he's starting to crack. Not just, he's very, he's angry. Not in like a way he's like, he's like, yes, he identified him as my son. And Videos goes on to say, but you are not satisfied with this identification. You did a full-scale investigation. You did a full sweep of the Kittery base and the computer systems and all the security codes. Tell me, what was your son Justin's activation code for his mech? And you're like, no, no. (laughs) He was going to change it. Not the foreshadowing. Like, how could this happen? (laughs) I could have never predicted that this would come back. (laughs) <laughs> against Justin. But yeah, Quintus is just like, Zhejiang, Feng Tao Zhao. Videos is like, what's that? What's that mean? And this is where Quintus tells him, it means this room is too small. And Videos is like, ah, this room is too small. But that phrase specifically has another meaning. It is like a known like f- turn of phrase, isn't it? And Quintus is like, yes, it generally signifies that it's like, hey, someone might be listening in. This room is too small. And Vidius is like, hmm, hmm. He turns and he points at Justin. And he's like, this phrase of all the possible codes he could have used in either Capellan or English is the one that he chose. He chose an enemy expression as the password for his mech. And uh, like Quintus is like, do you want me to respond to that? And Vidius is like, no, I guess not. I withdraw the question. I'm done with the witness. And you're like, oh my God, dude, this is wild though. It is funny, right? Just like you said, Brent, there's clearly this captured Capellan was a plant. They had uh, told him what to say and whatnot. Oh, tell him it was an urban mech. Tell him Justin is the spy, which that's pretty smart. That's a good bit of work. And, but then he hits him with the mech password and you're like, ah, the mech password, dude, this room is too small. The knife was already in, and he just twisted it. Yeah. I love this. The chapter ends with Lieutenant Lofton standing up, and he says, I have only one question for this witness. And I like Justin clutched at his lawyer's sleeve, but Lofton marched straight into the trap, heedless of the warnings. Mr. Allard, do you believe your son is a traitor? I don't know. I just don't know. And you're like, oh my God, dude, he's there. <laughs> he's dead. Like they're like, yeah. it's over. The lawyer just like pulled out a gun right there in the courtroom and shot himself in the foot. Yeah. You're like, dude, he's getting the firing squad like tomorrow. Like, this, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's so over, bro. You're like this. He's getting fried. They are getting <laughs> rolled, dude. This is brutal. It's tough. It, you know, you hate to see it. The goal of a courtroom is to find the truth, right? There's a failing in this court. <laughs> yeah. It's Lofton's question asking. <laughs> I read this part and I was like, man, this is the first question Lofton gets to ask a witness through these two chapters. It's the only yeah, one he asks. Like, the thing is, Lofton is like mid. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. He's fine. He's fine, right? Lofton, I'm sure he's like fine. I'm sure he's a good... He worked very hard. He's very intelligent. I am. I'm like, man, could Justin have gotten like a better lawyer? You know, or is it, how, does, how does this work? You know, are you like assigned your lawyer? 
I wasn't, could he hire a guy? As Lofton stepped up to Quintus, I just saw him like toss the alley-oop to yeah. videos as he just like dunked it on him. Like, I've only got one question for you. Do you think your son is a spy? Oh, wait. Don't say I don't know. That's a terrible answer. It's <laughs> not what I needed out of you here. Should ask 50 other questions. It's a lot of questions I could have asked that really would have helped my case. But I asked a real bad one. You ever see like pro, especially like basketball players where it's very, because it's it's like when like pro players go play with like college players and you realize, <laughs> oh my God, they're so much better though. They get like crushed. It's like the yeah. golf, even though it doesn't, it doesn't, it's like, I, I just thought that's what it feels like. It feels it's, like Michael Jordan just walked into like your like local community <laughs> college and like an obliterated yeah. these guys. <laughs> yeah, man. Justin tried to stop him, by the way. It says that at, at, at the end, Lofton went to get up and Justin was like, don't. And he was like, I got this. Let me cook. <laughs> and like, they, he should have not let him cook. <laughs> this was, uh, I was like, oh man. Turn the burner off. Yep. Hit cancel. Oh, well. I mean, hey, at least look, he said, I mean, he didn't let Justin on the stand, right? That would have been disastrous. So like he was smart enough to like keep Justin from getting up there. He's doing good. It's just what do you get? It's dude. It's counting videos, man. This is like, clearly this whole thing is a work. It's some kind of crazy setup. I don't know. Where are we going to go from here? It's not looking good, folks. Nope. It seems to just get worse and worse for Justin. Each witness that comes up, we'll have to find out if he catches a break in the next chapter. Chapter 14, 30th of January, 3027. So it's about a week later, okay? This chapter starts with uh, Justin arguing with David Lofton about how he needs to put him on the stand. Again, he's like, David, you got to put me on the stand. Let me talk. And Lofton's like, no, don't do this. He's going to kill you, dude. Like, look what he brought out your own father. Still, he, he does not think that that's a good idea. He's going to crucify you. He says, you heard how he twisted the interpretation of your normal behavior to look like the sinister machinations of a master spy, dude. Like, what do you think you're going to do that's going to help you? And Justin's like, nothing, nothing but point out what an absolute travesty this whole trial has been from the start. And Lofton's like, no, dude, don't go rogue in there. Yeah, don't (laughs) go in there and start going off. Like, I know he's like, this is what I'm worried about. Exactly. If I put you up there, you're going to start yelling at people. You can hardly blame the guy. I mean, his own father, like, broke on the stand, or we're led to believe. And you can only imagine the emotions that Justin is feeling here. The blows to his ego, and, like, all of these people that are very close to him, loved ones that now publicly have shown a lack of faith in him. Exactly. Well, often reminds him, he's like, bro, treason's a capital offense. This is not a game. You're going to die, right? They're going to kill you. You can't be messing around until Justin goes nuclear, right? He's like, listen, David, put me on the stand or I'll find a lawyer who will. And you're like, come on. And, you know, at that point, it's like, well, you know, Lofton's like, all right, fine. Okay. Okay. 
We do get a bit of an answer to your question, though. He hired Lofton. Right. Good point. <laughs> and Lofton asked him, he's like, that's cool, dude. I get, you know, hey, it's your funeral. Don't you believe in yourself? And Justin says, the only thing I believe right now is that I made a mistake in leaving my mother's people to live with my father. And you're like, oh, interesting. He's uh, seeing some uh, beginnings of disillusionment uh, with the <laughs> Federated Sons, perhaps. This almost makes, I feel like Stackpole's almost trying to shake your belief in Justin Allard. I feel like he's almost trying to go, do you think Justin is a spy? That's what I feel about this statement here. I mean, aside from obviously it's showing how Justin's cracking. Totally. He is. He's like, dude, just put me up there, bro. I got to go up there. I got to go in. I got to go in. And David's like, don't go in. Don't go in. Like, don't do that. And he's like, I got to go. <laughs> I'm going to do it. You can't stop me. And he's like, fine. Okay. So it does. So the last, remember the last chapter, we'll often manage to talk him out of it. We get in the next chapter, he doesn't. And you're like, oh, no. I agree. It's probably a bad idea. So yeah. here we go. And then we, this is, we cut over to the court and the scene starts. Lofton has just finished uh, interviewing Justin, right? And then he hands him over to count videos. Okay. So videos walks up. All right. Listen to this. He opens, <laughs> he asks him, what comes to mind, Major Allard, when someone calls you yellow? And they have this whole thing about, well, Justin's like, hmm, maybe a coward. You know, maybe they're racist. Oh, I mean, Justin does snap on him. He's like, when a bigot like you uses it, it's probably a racial slur. And Vidius is like, oh, quick to take offense, huh? <laughs> I do like that as soon as he asked the question, yeah, Lofton's like, objection. Yeah. What's going on here? And then Vidios is like, I will show the relevancy of this question, Your Honor. And Justin immediately is like, no, if it's you, it's absolutely a racial slur. And Vidios <laughs> is like, oh, oh, somebody's Whoa, sensitive. Hey. And, then, and then Lofton objects again. He's like, wait, A, <laughs> my client didn't answer the question that you just inferred. Yeah. And B, what does it have to do with anything? Yeah. And then Vidios is like, I withdraw the question. And I was like, there was no relevancy in that question. He didn't try to frame it at there all. There was no relevance. No, it's, it's wild. It's like, what do you he say just when you call him yellow? to take like, place. Yeah. Exactly. Justin pops back though, right? He's like, no, I want to answer it. And this is where he goes in on videos. He's like, listen, I understand, Count Videos, but you hate the Capellan Confederation. I know your family died in that raid. Ever since then, you've been like hunting for Capellan spies and stuff. And you learn, oh, Justin knows some stuff. He's like read some files. And it turns out, oh, Count Videos, he lost his family. They died in like a raid by Liao forces. And you're like, oh, that's, you know, what's so funny? That is just like Philip Capet, though, right? Same thing. We have, you right. know, family died in a raid by Lao forces. And so, yeah, Justin's just like, listen, I know you hate me. You're prejudiced. If, if you want to be honest, I think it's disgusting. I think you're racist, dude. I think you suck. <laughs> Vidus is like, oh, do you now? Sure, but you associate with known agents. You speak the language. You hang out with them. We had the whole thing with the security password was very suspicious. 
you go out on a thing, you abandon your men, you say it was a rifleman, it wasn't, it was an urban mech, we all know that now. <laughs> he even brings up, he's like, Major Allard, you nearly cost the Fed sons over 48 million C-bills in equipment. The lives of 30 mech warriors. You sold out all of us. You betrayed everything humans hold sacred anywhere in the inner <laughs> sphere. You're like, this is, it's going like totally off the rails. There's not even a court proceeding. This is just literally just the like gloves other. are off yeah. Yeah. and he's just literally besmirching this man like in the courtroom and it, everyone's just like letting this happen. Yeah. It's like, you really think you're trying to tell us it was a rifleman. You want us to believe that? I know the real truth. You lying son of a capellan slut. And you're like, oh my God, dude, it was totally <laughs> a rifleman though. <laughs> Was it readers? Was it a rifleman? I love the idea that Justin's been fighting this whole time to take the stand because he's like, "Oh, I'm going down for this. Like, I'm not. I'm not getting out of it." Yeah, they've they've shown their hand here, but if you put me up on the stand, I'm gonna go bonkers with it. I'm gonna get everything out that I want to say. That's exactly. a very good point, Aaron. This is really what that feels like. It's getting hot. They're gonna they're they're literally start yelling at each other, and then. Right, you hear someone in in the back. I have heard enough, and like we all turn, and it's Prince Hans Davian. Right <laughs> here he is. So then we get Prince Hans Davian himself comes into the courtroom, and he's like, "Stop, enough, everyone!" And like everyone turns and like, "Oh, dude, it's the prince. What's going on?" It's the prince. <laughs> Clearly, this is the part of the story where Hans just clears all of this up <laughs> exactly the prince is here it's gonna be fine and yeah, he's here with quintus right they both walk in arden sortek the boys are here they're gonna fix everything right, right. i was like oh my it's god it's all gonna dude. be mended it's gonna be great and it's true first thing like hans turns and points at videos and he's like he tells him that he's a pathetic shameless creature he's like your very manner is offensive to me and any clear thinking <laughs> person alive your bigotry has consumed you. I accepted you as a favor. I don't have to put up with you any longer. You will leave New Avalon. And you're like, yes, yes, get him. Get him. After what's been going on, I don't know about you guys, but I'm literally like, Look, yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> Hans is here to save the day. Let's yeah. go. And he turns to the tribunal and he's like, it's just in time. <laughs> it's just in time. It's just in time. It's sick. He's going in. He turns to the tribunal and he's like, this trial is an indictment of a whole nation. The manner in which has been conducted is an example of hatred run rampant. This whole procedure is a mockery. He's going in on him. You're like, yes, dude. I even like, he turns to the jury and he's like, listen, you must recognize there's no solid proof of Justin's guilt. It's all circumstantial. Yes, his middle name may be close to the designation of that of an agent, but w but would they have chosen that as a code name? Think about it. That would be dumb, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, <laughs> that's <laughs> not how any spy stuff happens ever. I just think it's funny that he's like, just brings up. He's like, think about it, folks. That'd be stupid. Anyway, and then he, he's like, he's like, did Justin display poor judgment in running away? Perhaps. Yes. 
And you're like, wait a minute, hold on, wait, Han, stop. And he's like, <laughs> maybe he's an idiot. That might be true. Should we strip him of his command? Probably. But should this cost him his life? Now Justin yells, no command. And he slams his fist down. And you're like, oh my God. This is good though. We've already established that that Justin lives for being a mech warrior, lives for commanding his unit. And he just heard from... The horse's mouth. <laughs> the Hans's mouth. <laughs> the Hans's mouth. The fox. Um, the fox himself. You're not going to command a unit no more. He heard it while he's on the stand. <laughs> and let's be honest. Is this going to go well, folks? No. I mean, maybe. I mean. Maybe indeed. <laughs> yeah, maybe indeed. You know, maybe Justin's going to be like, thank you. Uh, let's see. No, uh, it looks like <laughs> no. It, it looks like Justin addresses Hans Davian to tell him, you know, all these uh, Fed sons citizens. Uh, honestly, uh, you know, they're all racist. They hate me. Don't try to act like you don't all hate me. I know you do. You see me, you hate me. The shape of my eyes, the color of my skin, the fact that I have a Capellan mother. Everyone hates me. You people suck. And then Hans is like, watch out now, Major. I'm offering you your life here. And Justin's like, for what? For what? So I can continue to protect these people? They hate me. No, I hate this. This is where like Hans gets pissed. He's like, don't push me, Major. I'm being generous with you. This is when Justin just like narrows his eyes. And he's like, offer me my life? You want me to be grateful? What do you want to do? You want to keep me like a pet mech warrior like Arden Sortek? And you're like, oh man, he's even going in on Arden, dude, chill out. And he's like, the <laughs> life you offer me is as shallow as House Davion's conception of justice. And he just like goes off on him. Now Justin goes off on Hans. It's getting crazy. Can you imagine being here? This would be insane. <laughs> I imagine that the room is, this is probably quite the gallant vaulted ceiling, like, I imagine every word echoes in this hall. And I imagine, aside from these two men yelling and at each other and the gasps in the audience, there is no other sound. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm like, oh my God, dude, this would be incredible. The only movement that's happening is Lofton back at the defense bench. And he's just like packing up, updating yeah. his resume. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I think I'm done, guys. Yeah. He's gone. Yeah, the camera, he's not even there. <laughs> well, this is going poorly. Right. You can't help but feel for Justin, though. Justin's cut loose. He's broken. But you almost feel like the weight of all of this stuff from his entire life just comes. The pressure of his, of being different in childhood, of trying his hardest to be a member of this society that always kind of looks at him like an outsider. Yeah. Living in the shadow of his father, the gate comes out and it just all comes flooding out. Unfortunately, the man standing across the room from him is Hans <laughs> Davia. Right. It's not going well. He goes off on him, dude. Why'd you yell at Hans? I was like, oh my God. Now Justin's yelling at him like, this life you offer me, it's a farce. Like you people hate me. I'll never be accepted here. I'm so sick of this. It's funny, Hans is like, oh, okay, all right, very well, Justin, I will give you what you desire. And then what he looks at the judge and he's like, sentence him whatever you want, I don't care, it doesn't matter, because when you're done, I will strip him of his rank, 
commute the sentence to a lifetime in exile. And he points at Quintus and he's like, Quintus Allard, you no longer have a son. He no longer exists. Then he turns to Justin and he's like, I give you back your Capella name, traitor, Justin Zyong. There's no place for you in the Federated Sons. You'll be taken to any world willing to accept you as long as it's beyond the borders of the Federated Sons. And you're like, oh my God. His last line here, if you wish to learn the true depth of justice in the Federated Sons, return here and we will drown you in it. And you're like, oh my God, wait a minute. He just got exiled. So much happens. A lot happens very quickly yeah. here. Life came at Justin Allard fast. Yeah, dude. So like this chapter's wild. Okay. Justin gets on the stand, yells at videos. He yells at him. Hans comes in, starts yelling at people. Justin starts yelling at Hans. Anyway, by the end of it, Quintus Allard no longer has a son. It's yeah. nuts. <laughs> it's a bit of an equation, really. When I was reading it, the second time I read through it, I took it as when Hans started on the quote-unquote defense of Justin. He used a lot of the terminology that everyone else in the court case was using. He was talking about the prosecutor was assigned as a favor for Michael Hasek Davion. And so as Justin listened to it, I took it as that he kind of got the game here, that Hans was in here making a political move and that Justin was caught in the middle of this. And when he realized that, that's what kind of separated all the once held belief in the Fed sons, everything in here is that he was just a pawn in everything that's going on, even his own father's falling in on this. And so no matter all that work he did, everything he's put towards, it just was all out the window because it helped in this one little political struggle that Hans was going through. And so I feel like that outburst was just that final severing of it for him. It really was. I have no obligation to any of this anymore. It's a bit strange. So kill me, do Isn't whatever it? you want. Though all of it, when I read this, I was like, wait, that's the, wait, hold on. Huh? I was like, Oh, it weird. smells to high yeah, heaven. It's like so dramatic. It, it is. It feels it's, like this is, there's further political machinations going on here than just the manipulations of Michael Hasek Davion. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I like when I, 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 I like felt weird when I read it. I was like, wait, what? Huh? That's crazy. I, That's when I was reading it. I gave credit to Justin to say that he could see that. Right. He could, he could see the whole picture in front of him. And that's what he was reacting to. So they kick Justin out, right? And then before the chapter ends, though, we get this scene with Arden Sortek and Andrew Redburn, right? And they're hanging out. They're on New Avalon and they're like watching. Justin is like leaving. They're like watching his drop ship like pull away and they're just like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I love this scene. I thought this was cool. This scene feels important. It's cute. Andy apologizes for Justin when like he called Arden like a pet, like Hans's pet mech warrior or whatever. He's like, I'm sure Colonel Sortek that Justin, he didn't mean what he said. And Sortek is like, it's okay, Lieutenant. I get it. I get it. I know. He's just a young, angry man. They're like very sympathetic, actually. I think Arden Sortek gives a good read of Justin, actually. Yeah. Which really makes you wonder, considering what just happened. And also, 
I like the little bit where Arden's like, I kind of felt like that. Yeah. I thought it was a great little insight into Arden Sortek where it's like, I eventually came to grasp that with what I am doing is important. And he's like, waste of a good mech warrior. And then Sortek says, you know, on Solar 7, he'll be with plenty of his own kind. And while he's mm. trying to sate that anger, I bet he'll be hell on wheels there on the game world. And you're like, dude, let's go, though. <laughs> Justin's going to Solar 7. Ah, I and get it. He's on Solar 7 it. right now. Ah, like I was like, I see you see the spaceship taking Justin to Solar 7. It's a real and Topeka, then, Kansas moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is when Andy's like, Andy's like, I just know he's innocent, Colonel Sortek. When I get back to Kittery, you know, I'm going to do a whole investigation. We'll figure it out. I like, he says, his Valkyrie was empty of LRMs after the battle. No urban mech could have survived that barrage. Uh, it had to have been a rifleman. And uh, Brent, is that true? Could could no urban mech have survived a Valkyrie shooting all of its LRMs? I wonder. I bet it could. The left and right torso has, has 12, 14... In the center torso. That's external armor. Internally, it has seven. It is highly unlikely. Yeah, even if even if only half the missiles hit. It would be a statistical anomaly for the urban mech to survive. Uh, p- potentially, very unlikely. Good to know. We agree with Andy here. That's right. The Valkyrie was empty of LRMs. No urban mech could have survived that. That's a good point. He should have brought that up. <laughs> would have helped her in a court case wouldn't it yeah weird <laughs> so right Andy's like when I get back to Kittery I'm gonna do this whole investigation we're gonna figure it out Arden Sortek is like oh uh, they didn't tell you about your new assignment and Andy's like I thought I was going back to I thought I was going back to Kittery and Sortek's like oh we'll get there uh, no one told you you and I we're gonna be shipping out to the Lyran Commonwealth we've got inspections official functions to attend you know you're a hero now People want to get your autograph. And and like Andy's like, what? No, I'm not a hero. There's a get some of those other guys. He's such a bro, right? He's like, I don't want to do any of that. I want to help out my boy Justin. I want to clear his name. I know he didn't do it. Yeah. I love it. Andy, what a homie. Even after his kind of like break in faith for a moment in court, he's still batting for Justin. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's right or die. I love this though. Andy's like, "Oh, come on. I'm not a hero. There are better heroes. What about the what about the guys from the Galter campaign or whatever?" And like Sortek, they're like they're like getting in an elevator, you know, Sortek, he like he like hits the button and he just says, "Nothing more stale than yesterday's heroes." You know, I'm like, "That's cool." <laughs> He's like, "You guys are hot right now. I don't know what to say." And you're like, "Oh, dude, they're like going on like a publicity tour of like the Lyran <laughs> Commonwealth." And like the elevator's closing and Andy's just like, good luck, Justin. I know you're one of us. Yeah. I'm suspicious of this endeavor. We'll have to see though. Yeah. Yeah. And the chapter ends with Andy just thinking to himself, good luck, Justin. I know deep in your heart, you're one of us. Somehow I'll find a way to prove it. You're like, oh man, he's a real one. Court case arc concluded. What a wild ride it was over the last three chapters. Truly. It's amazing it's only three chapters. We've really gone through the ringer. Yeah. It's insane. At the end of it, I was just like, man, was this just a way to get Justin on Solaris 7? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible, you you earned it, right? 
It's like yeah. we got to get this guy on Solaris Seven. Stackpole did the legwork. We got to figure it he out. It. He gets eggs out, and this very bizarre end to this like this saga, this like court drama. Yeah, Justin gets exiled from the Federated Sons, not like executed though. So that's nice. Halfway through, we were like, oh, he's dead. But he's not dead. He's just going to Solaris 7. He's got that going for him. And that's just good writing. No, I I was going to say the same thing. I completely agree that Stackpole, to wind down what are a set of downer chapters, you do not feel good after the court case. No. No. I felt weird. And he uses Sortec to throw out just a giveaway line of saying, we'll see how he does on Solaris 7. Yeah. And that immediately brings everything back. You're like, oh, Capet's on Solaris 7. We've got Gray on Solaris 7. All of this is about to explode as soon as he's there. It's going to go off, dude. This was cool, though. I like the court case in my Battletech books. I don't know. I've read a bunch of these. I can't remember. I don't know if I can think of many other court cases. Isn't it wild? There, like, hasn't been any mech stuff. Like, do you guys remember we're reading a book about giant robots? <laughs> Hey, we blew up 30 stingers so we could get a court case here. Yeah, no, he got it all out in one. A lot of good stingers died to get this man on <laughs> so Solaris that Sackful 7. Could so have... we could have body doubles in court cases. <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying our little vacation here. I am too. Yeah, we had the trial and now Justin's on his way to Solaris. I could have never predicted that. I would have like, oh, well, he's going to go to Solaris in the end. But yeah, that's exciting. I'm excited. I wonder, you know. What's going to happen now? It's interesting. We'll have to find out where Stackpole takes us next in the next chapter. Chapter 15. Echo 5, Pesh Military District, Draconis Combine, 1st of January, 3027. Okay, this is new. We're in the Combine, and we open with this character, Jiro Ishiyama, right? It's this guy. We're on this cold world. The monk is leading him like through, uh, it's like this old, clearly this ancient monastery. I do like it points out the monk is wearing like very little clothing. Jiro's like all bundled up, and the monk's like, nah, dude, I'm just out here on like a t-shirt. It's cool. Oh, okay. So this guy has come. He's come to visit this monastery, and... This monk is leading him and he takes him to this beautiful, like underground garden cavern, like Zen garden. It's cool. We get this scene, like we just go from the court case and now it's like this guy being led through these cold caverns down into this like beautiful Zen garden under this like monastery. And in the middle, oh, I like it has like the little tea house, right? In like the middle of it all with like the rice paper walls and like the red roof it's so cool the vibes are like immaculate is what i'm saying (laughs) right and so the monk brings this guy down here and he's like it's all yours thank you so much for uh you know visiting us uh it is like such an honor and like jiro's looking around he's like this is perfect thank you he says your faithfulness honors the dragon and like ah arigato and the monk tells him that he's going to leave him alone so that he can uh, do his preparations. In uh, four hours, I will send Kurita Yorinagaji to you. And Ishiyama's like, thank you. Well, he says, 
Domo Arigato. They do the bow and the monk leaves. And then we get the whole scene, right? Ishiyama, he's just like inspecting this garden, all the stones, it's artistry, resonance. It's like serene. There's this whole thing about how great the vibes are, right? This place sounds incredible. It's got the bamboo, it's got the sand. And we learn, right, that this guy is some sort of ceremonial like master, right, guys? Help me out here. It's like he's constructing this whole scene, okay? Is him using the tools of like the Zen garden, the bamboo rake, and placing the stones to kind of like build this map around the tea house. It's like this whole ceremony thing where he's going around and he's like, okay, if the tea house is Luthien, then like Mallory's world would be here. And he's like moving the stones and stuff and making all these like concentric. It's so detailed. Michael Stackpole was like, I'm going to go wild on this like Zen garden ceremony thing. And uh, he did. It's like lavish. It like luxuriates. It's actually a bit jarring from what we've gotten. This is almost, we're almost kind of in Keith territory. Uh, Not that this, I love this scene, by the way. But, you know, he really, compared to everything else, which is, has been light on its feet, swift, with a purpose, in and out. This is slow and deliberate and its cadence almost reads at like you're supposed to almost watch this monk draw out the sand and to to create this map. You get this sense that it's about the the micro and the macrochasm. And he there's this line where he's like he doesn't bother to correct some gravel that has fallen out of place because it was meant to. It's all very esoteric. It's all very elaborate and it's all this setup all of this setup all of this time and dedication it's almost like you know stackpole uses this to build up this sort of like strange tension where you're we where by the end of it you're like something important's happening here yeah clearly but what yeah. and when i was reading through it and when we wrap the discussion on the next chapter I feel like when I got there, it made a lot more sense to me. But as you're going through it, there is the part that is evident that through all of these motions, Jiro is telling the story and slow rolling out the story of Yorinaga. Yes. But he's doing it interdispersed with like his work. Right. Yes. Yeah. And he's describing it through his work. He's talking about Mallory's world. He's saying, you know, I left. 11 ripples that circle Mallory's role, each ripple representing a year that Yorinaga has felt disgraced and in isolation. And you're starting to get these pieces, which is, as you said, almost opposite of what we've seen out of Stackpole so far, where he's throwing all these things out in like one line, he's telling a story with it, where here he's taking an entire chapter, in fact, two chapters, to roll out a story to explain the entrance of a character. This symbolism of what this character is doing in reference to the things that are at hand, you can tell it's like in reverence. It's almost a, like the writing style changes with the character of the, you know, the people it's portraying, right? It's clearly meant to mirror the Cretan people. 
his writing style has changed to it's almost meta it's like it's symbolic of what Sackpole thinks the Cretans are which is Japanese <laughs> it is the weebiest chapter so far it is he's it like, is true oh yeah dude yeah it is a story because as uh Ishiyama's going around like first he goes and he does the thing for Mallory's world and he's like Yes, Mallory's world. This was the site of Yorinaga's disgrace. And he makes like these very fine lines and everything he does, he's like, no one would really notice it. It's very nuanced, but Yorinaga will. And he's like, now you see, I will move these stones over here and change the pattern slightly. The untrained eye would never notice, but Yorinaga would notice. Of course. We almost get from a third party, we get this reverence for this character we've yet to meet, right? Yes, it's like, exactly. This man is coming and taking all this time and doing, uh, taking all this great care. The, uh, the, there's all these symbolic gestures and symbolism in, in this man's story towards Yoranagaji's story. It's all in reverence so that... When we do finally meet Yorinagaji, we have reverence for him. I like the part where before he goes in the tea house, he goes like around back and he's like, hold on, I got to make this mark. I think it's the mark for the planet they're on, like Echo 5. He's like, he's not even going to look out here. No one, no one would look out here, but it like, he would expect me to have done this. Yorinaga would, of course. He's like, so, of, so, of course I would. He doesn't need to look because Yorinaga knows that I would do it because Yorinaga is also a man of honor. And you're right, the whole time he's like, dude, Yorinaga is so cool. He's so smart. Yeah. He's just like the best guy. I'm like so excited. But I also think that one little tag on at the end where he talks about like he had to go all the way to the back of the tea house to mark where Echo 5 is. Yes. Is that little like stack pull spice to say like you know hey all of this was in the main area from luthien to mallory's world all this is in main draconis space yet echo 5 is all the way out here to get that sense of isolation oh, and that that oh, yeah. removal that to show where they are so are you saying to me that maybe in a way stack actually did do the same thing he always does which is <laughs> Give us a whole bunch of detail. Different ingredients, same technique. So after he does that ceremony outside, he's like, all right, time to go inside the tea house, right? Time to get ready for the cha no you. That's this like tea ceremony. And you realize, okay, this guy is like this tea master. And he has been sent here by the coordinator to perform this ceremony for Yorinaga. All right. Now, who's the coordinator? The coordinator is the head of state. Right. The coordinator is the dragon. And the dragon is the state. And the state is everybody. Yes. And the coordinator at this time is Takashi Kurita. Speaking of Takashi, oh, I love this. Ishiyama, right? When he's setting up the little ceremony, we learned he has the coordinator's own personal tea set. Right. It's like he goes in there and he has like the two like black cases and like puts them down when he moves the table. He like goes in there and there's like a little, uh, you know, like a low rectangular table and he like turns it 
the other way, but he's like, I left it a little at like, at like a bit of a can't. What does he say? I love this line. Perfect symmetry traps the mind within the bounds of reality. So he keeps the table like, like a little bit off. He doesn't like square it up. He's like, it's like a little bit off. And then he pulls out like, he's a God, this is the coordinator's personal tea set. And it's like the weight of the responsibility is like, this is like the most important thing this guy's ever done. Yeah, Ishiyama fought the panic and weight of responsibility that threatened to crush him from both the inside and out. He's like pulling the stuff out and he's like, oh, you can't mess this up. He was born for this, dude. This is like the best day of his life. He's like setting up, he's pulling out the, like the tatami mats, getting old. He pulls the ruler out, bro. And he's like literally like measuring the tatami mats. Like, okay, this one's like so many inches. It's like perfect. Right, we get this whole yeah. thing where he's like setting up the table. He's pulling out the stuff. Stackpole highlights everything in fine detail. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's pulling out like the coordinator's personal items. All right. First, he's got the bamboo ladle. He's like, ah, yes, this is the, it's been in the family for like 400 years. And I love it. We get the little, what's the little backstory? It's like, there's a whole little thing about the ladle. It's so cool. Yeah. The story behind it was that it was rumored that coordinator, is it Urizen? Urizen, Karita II, had stopped his air car when he had seen a remarkable strand of bamboo on Luthien, thinking it would make a fine tea ceremony ladle. Just as he descended from the car to cut off the piece of bamboo, the car was blown up by a bomb yes. secretly planted by the, the rival. Car bomb. He got out to cut the bamboo. Yep, and because his life was saved by something so utterly Japanese, it ushered this renaissance to the old Japanese culture for the Dracovis oh, Combine. dude. This is like a v- so important. This is like a deep ass cut as in like yeah. we learn why the Draconis Combine is so saturated in this bygone because it's not just Japanese culture, right? It is Japanese culture during like Imperial Japan. Yeah. If you look at the timeline in which Battletech lies on, it is quite a ways away <laughs> from well, where we are now in the story. When you're looking at the other great houses, the Draconis Combine really does stand uniquely dedicated to that Terran ancestry. Right. How diligent they are to uphold that. So the fact that like in this little paragraph... Stackpole uses this ladle as the object to help explain that. Now, that could have been something from source books, but I'm not sure on that. I don't know if this is something Stackpole just threw in there or created. Either way, it's an awesome little flavor that he threw in there, making this tea set probably one of the most important relics that's within the Draconis Combine. Yeah, this seems it does. I'm like, oh my God, this does seem very important. Also, he has like, he has some other stuff. He has the little tea bowl. He has like this case. It's like the, oh, the tea chest, right? It's like this beautiful red and gold dragon circling body and lid. We learn, oh, this is like, this is the same chest that was at the meal where the coordinator met his wife and he like places it just so everything is placed so perfectly. He's like the chest placement while utilitarian would allow his intended guest an opportunity to study it. Like placing it on the table and then he pulls out the little water urn right the little metal like water pitcher and this one's interesting because it's like not elegant and beautiful it's all like beat up 
and he's like looking at it reverently because he like doesn't know for sure, but he's like, ah, people say that the coordinator formed it from the armor of his first mech kill, or maybe it was all he had left of his first mech. We don't know. It's a, you know, what does it mean? And he's like touching it. He's like so enthusiastic. He's like just touching it, sent a thrill through him. He's like so excited to heat some water in here. And then he's like, oh my God. He like has a moment where he's like to himself. He's like, do you think that Yuri Naga could have been there when the coordinator made this? Do you think that maybe, oh my God, can you imagine? And then he's like, God, Yuri Naga was so cool. He was the best. Some even say he killed Prince Ian Davion. Ah, how could one so have such dishonored himself? He's just like fanboying about like yeah. all this stuff. It's like so funny. He's like so hyped. This is the best. So yeah, the chapter ends with Ishiyama. He kind of finishes preparations, right? He puts it like everything is perfect. He's got the jar. He's got the ladle. He's got the tatami mats. He's like pouring the tea. It ends with him like putting his clothes into the now empty first case. And like, I just love everything is so meticulous. The last line, he's like, he slides the case just out of the way. So it's like not in the way, but just enough so that it's visible, right? His guest would see it and surely wonder what secrets it contained. And you're like, God, <laughs> it really is this whole, we're just taken on this journey through this like lavish, this ceremony uh, thing. We're not even done with it. We're like halfway through the, the Yuri Naga hasn't even shown up yet. This is what was going on here. He was on one. <laughs> it, it is a complete change of pace. Dude, take him from the court case to the tea ceremony. It's like, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm here for it. it, it it's flavored so well. I love it. I don't have anything further to say other than... It's so... It is. It's like, all right, let's jump over to the combines. Like, what are they doing? And it's like the most Japanese stuff imaginable. <laughs> which is like kind of funny. It's like, oh, this guy's doing a tea ceremony and he's in a Zen garden. They're like at a monastery. There's monks. This is so funny, though. It's like, all right, give him a taste of the combine. And it's like almost... It's like so <laughs> Japanese. It's more of a gulp. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like the most Japanese man who ever lived is like doing a tea ceremony out in like this Zen garden. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'll buy it. And with this change in pace, with us going from this high energy court case to this very slow setup, you know you're coming into the last two chapters of the first part. And this slow rollout of the tea ceremony, the buildup of Uranaga feels so tense that something's coming. This whole thing was to build tension, right? Yeah. That's like the whole purpose of it is it's, it's kind of this like this pressure building, but it's not like yeah. pressure of danger. It's like very interesting because it's, you're not, it's like for me, I'm like, where is it coming from? Yeah. And we're not even, the, it hasn't really started yet. Yorinaga isn't even here. We've we've learned so much about this man. He hasn't even arrived. Apparently, we're waiting for Yorinaga. Well, we'll have to see how Yorinaga makes his entrance in the next chapter. Chapter 16. We're still with Jiro. Jiro Ishiyama. 
He's in the tea house. We're still getting ready. We lose no time. It's a direct continuation. So Jiro, he pops open the other case he's got, right? This is where he pulls the little gong out and the, like the little hammer. This rules. He pulls the gong out and he takes the kimono off and he like puts the black one on. Oh, and don't forget, of course, this is where he puts like the mask on, right? He like, it's, it's almost like a shadow. He becomes like a, it's almost like how stage performers wear like all black. This is a black hood with a mesh front to hide his face, right? And he's like finishing preparations. He like burns a little twig and he's like, you know, puts on a little incense and he's like, he's trying to relax for a second. He's like, let's get it together before our man arrives. It's very exciting. But, uh. He can't because he keeps thinking about Yorinaga. He's like, I can't, you know, I can't believe I'm, I'm going to meet this guy. I've heard so much about him. You know, he was like my hero. He's like thinking about, oh, you know, Yorinaga, they say he was one of the few men to match Takashi and Kendo. He was credited with the death of Prince Ian Davian on Mallory's world in 3013. That was him. People say it was Yorinaga who killed the prince. Then he starts like wandering and he starts thinking about, we learn more about what happened here? Okay, listen. Yorinaga, he was in charge of the second sort of light. All right. And they went to that planet, Mallory's world. This is the backstory. This is important. All right. This, this comes up again. This whole Mallory's world thing. We're going to hear a lot about Mallory's world because something happened here. What happened on Mallory's world? Well, the second sort of light was fighting the Kellhounds. They were winning, right? Specifically, they had the Kellhounds surrounded, okay? So, and Yorinaga was there with the Sword of Light. He was in his Warhammer, okay? Morgan Kell was there with the Kellhounds. He was in his Archer. And so the two leaders agreed to do like an honor duel, right? Everyone stopped fighting so that they could have a battle. So we got an Archer versus a Warhammer. What do you guys think? Brent, what are you taking? I mean... It depends on the terrain, right? The Warhammer is a mech that's pretty decent at all ranges, but it really likes to be at mid-range, where the Archer wants to be at mid to long. And so it's kind of, for a duel, I feel like the Warhammer is favored, and even the text kind of alludes to this. Yeah, also especially because the Archer has those LRMs. It has like a lot right. of long-range missiles. So if it's fighting close, it's like, oh, that's like not very good. And it says that in the battle, Morgan Kell didn't try to extend his range so he could use his missiles. He just like, says he used his incredible agility. He kind of like dodged around, let him shoot PPCs at him. It's like this whole, I like uh, Ishiyama is like, I've tracked down every account of the battle. So I have it perfectly in my mind. I've like studied this. It's funny. This guy isn't just, he's like a Yorinaga scholar. Yeah. yeah. This has to be like the best day ever for him. He's just thinking about Yorinaga, thinking about that battle. He's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe what happened. So they were fighting, right? It was going on for a while. He describes it. Oh, it's this very intricate, these two master mech warriors, like maneuvering and like shooting at each other and like went on for a while. But the Warhammer does get the upper hand, right? Yeah. He like PPCs his arm off and the archer like drops, right? And everyone's like, oh, dude, here we go. Here comes the mercy kill. Like it's, it's funny because there's all this eyewitness, right? There was like so many people were there, right? All of these like mech warriors were like around watching this happen. So Yorinaga goes in for the mercy kill, right? And he shoots the PPCs 
and they miss. They both miss. And then like Morgan Kell, he shoots all of his LRMs. They're too close to arm. So he just like batters the trash out of the Warhammer with all of these LRMs. It's kind of funny. And so Yorinaga gets mad and he just starts shooting at this thing, but like he can't hit it, right? It's like the weirdest thing. It's like he can't like lock onto it or something. Ishiyama had even heard that the stories of mech warriors present at the battle who said that Kel's dead mech vanished like a ghost from their instrument readings. And you're like, huh? What happened? I don't, what? And then, okay, so Yorinaga tries to shoot it and he can't hit him. Okay. And then the archer stands up and it bows and everyone is like, what? How dare this barbarian, you know, make a, like a mockery of our traditions. They're like, destroy it, destroy it, Yorinaga. All right. And so it's like, they're expecting to see their commanding officer obliterate this archer. Instead, Yorinaga gets on the radio and he does a haiku. All right. He says, yellow bird I see, the gray dragon hides wisely, honor is duty. It even says like his guys are like, what? Is he like, is he messed up? What happened? Like one of his guys is like, clearly the commanding officer is until like Yorinaga like destroys him. It says he melts his panther in like one hit and everyone's like, oh, he's serious. What's going on? Wait a minute. Okay. So the archer, like we couldn't hit him and then he bowed at him. And then Yorinaga like says this poem and then like, you're like, okay. And now they're, they're, they're going to like retreat or whatever. This is the part where Ishiyama's like, I don't understand. Okay. Listen, listen, Yorinaga at that point opened his cockpit. Okay. He had like his personal swords with him in his cockpit and he threw them. He threw them out where Morgan could get them. And then they left. And then Yorinaga traveled to Luthien to speak with the coordinator. Oh, because he, that's right. He wanted permission to commit seppuku. Yeah. But instead, he got exiled here to this monastery. And uh, this is where we learn. This is where, because he's been referring to him as Yorinaga G. And it's like, oh, the G appended to his name to signify entry into the monastery. And we've learned he's been, <laughs> every year since, He's been sending a request to the coordinator to commit seppuku. So we learn all this, like the story of Yorinaga, while the whole time Jiro has just been in here trying to relax. He can't relax because he's just like, what's up with Yorinaga? How could he dishonor himself? But it's at this point, he's like, I'm ready. And he picks up the little hammer and he hits the gong and the door slides back and it's Yorinaga. It is Ishiyama's like, oh my God, dude, it's Yorinaga. He's like, I can't believe it. This guy's so graceful. He is, this guy's been on this monastery for 11 years, right? He was the commander of the second sword of light. And he's been here for 11 years. It's cool. Anyway, he comes inside the tea chamber, okay? Glides in and it's all very proper. He like crosses position. He like kneels on the tatami. And right, I need to point out that... The nature of the ceremony is that Ishiyama is kind of like invisible, right? That's why he has like the black honesty and he has like the black mask. And there are three positions at the table. I mean, I meant to say that. And one of them is empty. That's the coordinator's position because Ishiyama is like 
representing the coordinator. They make it seem like it might as well literally be the coordinator. For, for right? all intents and purposes, he is for the right. ceremony. Ishiyama notices, though, that Yorinaga has like this crest on his kimono. It is a yellow bird reflected in the eye of the dragon. And you're like, oh, here's that bird again. Yeah. yeah. He says, all draconians knew that the yellow bird was the dragon's only enemy. And Yorinaga had retreated from his chance to kill the yellow bird when he saw it. Oh, interesting. The yellow bird. He didn't kill it. He let it go. They bow to each other. It's very formal. He's like, I bow. And he's like, I held mine for slightly longer. And this is where, right, because he like speaks as the coordinator. He's like, the coordinator says, Kan Benwa, Kurita Yorinagaji. So now the tea ceremony has begun. They're like dipping the ladle in the water and then like pouring it and like filling the bowl up with like the steam. It's very cool, right? And while they're conducting the ceremony, Ishiyama speaking for the coordinator, right? Everything he says is like, the coordinator says he wishes to. The coordinator says he has found a way. The coordinator, it's like, oh, I do like... <laughs> One of the first things he says is that the coordinator wanted to apologize for uh, never replying to his request for seppuku. He's like, yeah, he he's really sorry that he never wrote you back. I did like, he admits that his own weakness has kept him from contemplating his life without you. He says he has never replied because he could only deny your requests and that denial would bring you pain. I'm going to start using this on people. I'm going to be like, oh, well, you see, I never replied because... <laughs> I could only ever deny your requests, and that would bring you pain, you see. <laughs> it was a matter of honor. That's pretty good. I'm going to write that it down. It is like trying to make plans. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like it could be something very useful for me. But I also think a really important note here, too, to make sure that we're hammering, is that Yorinaga has not said a word. Nothing. Right. This whole time. Yeah, has not, not spoken All of yet. these are just silent. Internal thoughts. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Ishiyama goes on to say that the coordinator says he has found a way to grant the release you desire while allowing you to fulfill your duty to him and preserving him from grief for your death. The coordinator says he will form an elite unit around you. They will become the Ganyosha, the Black Ocean, and you will be their leader. And you're like, oh, let's go. They're, they're, he's forming a new unit, dude. The Ganyosha, the Black Ocean. And he's the Takashi sent this guy here to bring him back. And he's like, he says, you'll be able to select 50 men, one for each year of your age from all the forces in the combine. Are you telling me your Nagaji is Japanese Rambo? Japanese Rambo. No. <laughs> Japambo. Japambo. <laughs> he tells him that he'll be able to select 50 men. One for each year of his age, from all the forces in the Combine. And then, aside from your liaison officer, of course, uh, you will have no superior but the coordinator. And you'll train your guys, and then those 50 guys will train 50 guys, and then those 50 will train 50. And it's like, you're going to take over, dude. You know, you're going to have this huge unit. It's going to be so cool. Elite. Basically, I, I like Ishiyama, like, gives his pitch, and he's just like watching. Yorinaga, but oh, one last thing, right? He does, he's kind of looking at him, and then Ishiyama's like, also, the coordinator asked me to mention as a small item of interest 
that plans have already begun for the utter destruction of the Kelhounds. And then we see Yorinaga like nod his head ever so slightly. And the chapter just ends with like, without looking down, Yorinagaji unerringly cupped the tea bowl in his hands and raised it to his lips. Let's go. He's back. Yeah. He's back. He's been out 11 years ever since Mallory's years. world, but here he is, the Ginyosha. That's cool. And now he's going to be training a unit that sent out to destroy the Kelhounds. I felt moved by this, and I wrote a series of haikus. Can't wait. I, now, haikus are, generally speaking, a reverence of nature, right? It is almost always like, this tree's cool, and so are these birds. However, I chose to uh, form a little story around this. Yoranagyaji. Fifty men, Gunyosha bound. Kelhound's fate, unknown. Yoranagaji, the coordinator's gift, honor, yet to be claimed. Yoranagaji, cupped the tea bowl in his hand, raised it to his lips. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we couldn't do this without you. You're a vital member of this organization. <laughs> Thank you for your haiku gifts. <laughs> He's going to get revenge on the Kelhounds, dude. They're forming an elite combine unit to get revenge on the Kelhounds. And that's the end of part one. Which we might have left Dan a little bit behind there. We haven't been thinking what's going on with yeah, Dan. Yeah, Dan, dude. The Kelhounds. What I think is really crazy to think about is the fact that we finished book one, and I think maybe, only maybe, Stackpole has finished the setup, like the start of his setup for his story. Yeah, this whole first part is all getting people introduced and where they need to be. The roller coaster's going up the hill, right? We're at the clickety-clackety oh, yeah. part. Clackety. Get off my backity. He's not wrong. It's true. What you said, the like, it's like, oh, we're just, we're still introducing, this is just a really long character introduction in a lot of ways. It's really, the whole thing was building up to these last few paragraphs. Indeed. Where it's like, hey, new unit, revenge on the Kelhounds. And you're like, got it. <laughs> it's an entire unit devoted to destroying the Kelhounds. The Ganyosha, dude, the Black Ocean. How cool is that? The Black Ocean. All we need is the Merricks to be up to something. And we got a full house here. I was about to say, like, we're almost playing with the full deck of cards. I mean, it just, it really does, like, everyone's involved in this story. Stackpole threw out a very wide net here. Lots of things have been set up. Lots of people introduced. And last episode, you asked me where I thought it was going. And I didn't mention a tea ceremony i do distinctly <laughs> remember that being part of my answer but now it's like even more stuff even more from when you asked me that question just this episode alone <laughs> there's so many more moving pieces yeah and it's been it, it hard does... to really give too much commentary really because the reality is is this it, it is we're still at the beginning of the story guys yeah but it does feel like it's here now. Like we're going to start popping off next week when we're covering the start of part two. I have a feeling we're going to kick right into some things. I haven't made it that far yet, but 
just at the pace that Stackpole keeps this thing moving. Solaris 7, dude. Yeah, we've got Solaris 7 coming back up. I'm very excited for that. Justin is going to cause some waves once he lands there. Okay, the Phantom Mech. All right, they can't hit him. <laughs> all right, they can't shoot him. This is going to come up again. They can't hit him. They can't shoot him. They he tried to him. shoot him. He's like, I can't hit him. What's going on? Yellow bird I see. Gray dragon hides wisely. Honor is duty. What's going on? All that's very mysterious, by the way. They just kind of be like, hey, some stuff happened. And it's like secondhand information. And he's like, that's weird, huh? Anyway, like what was going on there? What's with the... Why? I feel like that's a very good explanation of almost every three chapters uh, leading yeah. up a book one is... Stackpole was like, hey, there's some stuff going on here. What was that about? Yeah, don't forget yep. about the, the Phantom Mech. Don't forget about the Phantom Mech. It's true. Yep. Forget about Dan hanging out with the Kellhounds. He's not free of this either. There's this guy, Morgan Kell? Yeah. Morgan Kell. Not Patrick Kell. Not Patrick Kell. No. Morgan Kell. They did bring this up, though. They were like, oh, remember when Dan's talking to the Kellhounds, the other Kellhounds officers? He mentions, he's like, oh, Morgan broke up the unit about uh, 11 years ago. He disbanded it. Yeah, they disbanded 11 years ago. And Patrick just kind of, he was like, it's literally a portion of its former self, what Patrick's running. Yeah. Interesting. So, it really, there's there's just so many things that these things are going to start colliding into each other. (laughs) That's a good way of thinking about it. It's like this asteroid field where these and these just yeah. rocks are just moving at each other. Yeah, everything's kind of like drifting towards the center. Yeah. And we're seeing like all these little lines that stack pull. I think we made the joke earlier on about getting the the red string out <laughs> in the pegboard. Yeah. And start marking all these things together. And now I feel like, oh, we're starting to see where all these tethers are intersecting and where all this stuff is going to be coming back together. And I'm sure we'll get a lot more of that in part two. Very exciting. Well, we'll just have to find out exactly what part two has in store for us. We pick up next week in part two of Warrior Guard. This was another episode of Of Mechs and Men. I am Kanan Hill. I was joined by my two friends, Brent and Aaron. We would like to thank, of course, the author of this book, Michael A. Stackpole. And we'd like to thank, of course, all the other writers and artists who work so hard to keep Battletech alive. We'd like to thank Catalyst Game Labs for being such generous stewards of the property. We have an email, advice at heat.management. If you have any questions, concerns, corrections, please advice at heat.management. We're also on social media, Twitter and Instagram at of mechs and men. Please feel free to leave a review if you'd like on your podcast app of choice. That always helps. We appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. We will return next week to begin part two of Warrior Unguard by Michael A. Stackpole. Thank you. Remember, kids, don't yell at the head of state when he's speaking on your behalf in a courtroom while you're on trial for treason. We'll see you there. Selah. <laughs>